Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Abby Martin. And this is Robbie Martin. And this is Trump's America. <laughs> POTUS Donald Trump. POTUS Donald motherfucking Trump. Who could have thunk it? Uh, so, you know, ever since Donald Trump came in the mix, I always thought it was outlandish that the media was kind of writing him off. Sorry that I, I'm, I'm sick right now if everyone's wondering why it sounds so weird. But yeah, I mean, it, um, it was just interesting how he came in you know, after kind of running it as a complete joke um, four years ago, and Obama made that joke at the White House Correspondents' Dinner about how ridiculous it was of a notion for Donald Trump to win, and then he gets in and just slayed, what, like 16 people? How many Republican candidates were there in the primaries? I mean, it was insane. He just went up there and slayed every single person. It was just so funny how the media was like, he's never going to win the primary. He's never going to run. He's never going to win the primary. Oh, well, he can't win the presidency looking down in their ivory towers this entire time. And, and it tricked me too. But, but uh, you know, the, the, at the same time, I kept thinking, like, why are they so sure? Um, we just saw Donald Trump totally slay all these people and win the primary. Like, obviously, people like him and want, and want what he's saying, you know? And it was just every single media person was just like lockstep, um, looking down at everyone else saying like, this is never going to happen. And this is a complete joke. And it just completely backfired in, in every way possible. Well, I think that's the key word here. It backfired so bad and so hard that it probably actually helped gain him hundreds of thousands, if not millions of more votes. Mm-hmm. Because his supporters are already... And his whole message has been, um, whether it's bullshit or not, uh, you know, and, and, and in a way it's not bullshit and he kind of almost proved it, you know, it's a kind of like broke, it's like Trump has like a broken clock effect. He mm-hmm. says things that are extremely true sometimes that you can't deny. Even if you hate everything he stands for and you think he's a total piece of shit, the media was fully tilted against him. Mm-hmm. I mean... You know, I you know, Norm Macdonald is one of my favorite comedians, and he's not even, I don't even agree with most of his politics, and he's like barely plugged in, and it was funny, he tweeted one day, he's like, wait, I was watching, he's like, he's like, wait, Fox News is even against uh, Trump? <laughs> he's like, what's going on? He was like confused because even the f- network that's supposed to like tow the GOP party line and prop up, um, you know, whoever the Republicans are, was seemed to also hate Donald right. Trump. Right, And having the media class and the DC class sort of hectoring people and acting like this man is so insane, you can't possibly vote for him, right? He's so uh, sexually aggressive and he grabs women and pushes, you're not going to vote for that, right? He's a, he's a Ku Klux Klan member, you can't vote for yeah. that, right? He's a fascist, right? Like all of that stuff, I, I think, only made people double down more and made them realize how rigged the media was um, right and it it, it only uh it, it, not, what's the right word it empowered his base yeah it emboldened um, his base and then the nuclear bomb went off and let, let's first talk about election night because i think it was it was so surreal what happened and i'm sure everyone felt the exact same way even trump supporters were probably like holy shit this is really happening but i mean i was i was out there doing live coverage for telesaur 100% thought Hillary had in the bag, even though I knew in the back of my mind um, about Brexit, I knew how many people were under the radar and and kind of this silent majority, like they keep saying, like a lot of white 
especially working class women. You know, it was kind of like the secret thing. Like a lot of people that I talked to, I would have to like pull it out of them um, that were Trump supporters. I'd be like, okay, like you can tell me. And then they'd be like, yeah, I'm supporting Trump. It was just like, it is the silent majority or not really because Hillary won the popular vote, but you know what I mean. And so I'm out there oh, yeah. after seeing all these polls and, and the Huffington Post, 99% chance of Hillary going to win. And so we went out there just thinking, okay, this is this is in the bag, whatever. We had just put out our Podesta piece days before. Um, and so we're out there in front of Jarvitz Center, whatever the hell it's called, in, in downtown Manhattan. Both candidates were having giant bourgeois parties uh, like a mile away from each other and so we're at hillary clinton's where they're we're counting the votes and i'm out there with the young turks has like a little crew that guy jordan was out there doing the live broadcast and we're just talking to people about why they're there and a lot of people supported third party and da 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 and then we just start hearing like some states coming in jordan like is saying live like the states coming in we're like what oh crazy like i was totally removed from the minute by minute exit polls and results coming in and so I was like huh what what's going on I couldn't even like get it on my phone and so we go to Times Square on the way to Times Square someone from Telesor texted me and they're like Wall Street's crashing like almost every swing state is for Trump and I because I knew that before all these pundits were like there's no path to 270 for him unless this this and this happens nothing short of a miracle will bring him to that 270 number of the electoral college and I was just like well there's there's still no way right like like unless he gets everything and then some. And then we go to Times Square and it was the most surreal scene. Fox News is on the jumbotron. Like the it's like the size of a fucking like skyscrapers, like broadcasting Fox News. There's no sound and everyone's just like hushed, cheering whenever like it says something else for Donald Trump, like all these people. It was it was insane. And I was walking around, I did a live broadcast and I still like couldn't wrap my mind around what was happening because, I, you know, it was muted. And I just kept thinking, like, wait, is California called yet, though? Because, like, Hillary's going to fucking lose. I just couldn't believe it. And I and, and finally, it wasn't until after the broadcast ended that we went to a bar and realized, oh, wait, California was already called. She's yeah. going to lose. <laughs> it was so crazy. And it was like yeah. looking around like, oh, this is this is it, dude. Like this this happened. Trump won. And at that point, he had he had Slater by like a million votes. It was before, obviously, all the West Coast states were fully counted. But because of our antiquated yeah. electoral college, we, you know, we have we do things a little differently than the rest of the world. But wow. So tell us what <laughs> what it was like for you. Well, I had a kind of a similar experience. So I I did a screening of a very heavy agenda on election day looking back on that idea is probably not a great one because um first of all everyone was you know it wasn't it wasn't a very well attended screening and second of all um by the time the movie was um hitting the third act you know it's a long ass movie you've seen it um it uh, uh i started refreshing the electoral um vote count and i started to get confused about what i was seeing because i didn't actually have a map on the little electoral vote count thing that I found, it was just like the count and showing the little lines of color, like on either side. So I was, I thought the exact same thing you did. I was like, okay, obviously New York, California probably hasn't been called yet. Um, and then as soon as I, as soon as Lori gave me this look, like she pulled up a map on her phone and showed me, and I saw California had been called, New York had been called. She looked at me like, wow she, she's like i think he's gonna win and i was like no I'm like that's not gonna happen 
Um, and then so I just let the movie play for another hour. And by the time the movie was over, we looked at the electoral map again. And this was maybe at about 8 p.m. And we knew uh, that he was probably going to win. And I was supposed to do a Q&A after the screening. And I just told people to go home uh, because <laughs> I knew that, every, I mean, including me, was so discombobulated and, you know, frankly shocked at what was happening. We didn't get the call yet. But when I started driving home, I could hear the confusion in the reporters' voices. I was listening to CNN and Fox on the way home on yeah. my cell phone, and they were all already bracing for a Trump win. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, this is a complete upset. I just had... I was completely convinced that all the right. polling, right. all of that inevitability that they acted like, um, you know, that Trump, that Hillary had. Yeah, because I thought they were taking the, that into account, like all the options, right? No, <laughs> like, <laughs> but here's here's the interesting thing, though. There was an L.A. Times poll mm -hmm. where the L.A. Times wrote a bunch of stuff coming, you know, right before the election day, saying that Hillary had this, Trump has no chance. But yet the L.A. Times official poll that they commissioned an actual, like legit scientific polling institution showed a huge amount of fluctuation happening like in the last two weeks, like mm -hmm, huge mm -hmm. cross, like where Hillary was ahead by a huge margin. And then all of a sudden mm -hmm. she would drop and Donald Trump would be ahead. And then over the weekend, Trump had spiked really high above Hillary over the weekend before um, the election. And I think people just probably thought, well, this is just a divergent poll. It's an anomaly. But it turned out to be extremely accurate. Extremely. I mean, like this poll was the most accurate one of the exit polls by far. Yeah, I think that um, was the poll that actually f f the one of the only ones that was taken into account. Like, I think that the poll pollsters asked, would you tell people that you were supporting him or something and that's when they found out like this huge underlying factor of like working class women um yeah and i was and if you look at the poll you can see the spikes mm -hmm. at different times one spike for trump happened when james comey came out and made that yeah. announcement it was a it, it definitely gained him which we'll talk about a little later yeah. just that interesting internal dynamic like what that means about what obama really thinks uh -huh. the fbi thinks who they were hoping would win um, but, and then another huge spike over the weekend. And the only thing that happened over the weekend that I can really determine was that new batch of WikiLeaks among that was that weird hysterical spirit cooking. Obviously, I don't think, you know, I think John Podesta is like a flaky art collector who hangs out with like these artists that are able to like bait rich people into their inner circles and get them to buy their work. It was nothing more than that. But for some reason, people took it extremely seriously. I mean, it turned into a hysterical thing that I haven't seen in a long time. As we were finding out that Trump won, we went to Trump's headquarters at the Hilton in, in downtown Manhattan. And it was insane. I mean, there was a bunch of people wearing Israeli flags as capes, um, a bunch of Trump flags, American flags, people with the MAGA hats on the Make America Great Again, a lot of white um, people... A lot of people, like a lot of white people holding signs about minorities, which was really odd, um, saying like Hillary doesn't care about black people. And it was just like, I don't, it was just so weird to be like a white person and make a sign like that and go out there. But anyway, and it was just freaky. It was just freaky to see these people. And I felt like I was in Israel again, you know, 
It was like, why are you wearing an Israeli flag as a cape, bro? Like, it was bizarre. <laughs> it was bizarre. Mike went over there to try to talk to some people, and this guy, like, grabbed him, and he was like, you're not going to make me look bad, right? And he was just, like, so hyped up and, and testosterone out. And these people were just walking around with their chest puffed out. It was really intense. I felt super unsettled just being there. And another thing, you know, yesterday we went to all the protests, or we went to the one protest in Manhattan against Trump, and at both places, they had the, they had the buildings surrounded by dump trucks full of sand to try to like, I don't know if there was like a car bomb or something like they're just so scared that something's going to happen. And they've just been like militarized police units surrounding all these buildings. It just felt odd. I, I just felt odd this whole time. I don't know if it's because I'm on Dayquil or because Trump's the president. <laughs> but uh, probably both. I'm sure it doesn't <laughs> help. <laughs> but the, but um it's so interesting because I, I, I'm trying to remember back when he did that APAC speech. Mm-hmm. But do you remember how the media was basically trying to say his white supremacist platform was so all-encompassing that it was like secretly anti-Semitic and anti-Israel? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he did that APAC speech and then just like a light switch, it flipped and everybody was – the audience loved it there. Um, Jews uh, said it, he did a really great job of making an appeal to Israel. Um, he started to, you know, put out rhetoric that was like very similar to what we're used to hearing about, you know, American politicians trying to grovel toward to Israel, and then, um, and then they started conducting poll straw polls in Israel, and I think Trump won oh, won yeah. them multiple yeah. times. Yep. So Israeli citizens actually prefer Trump to Hillary as a U.S. president. Yep, he's the strong man. He, he's just like Netanyahu. He says what he thinks. He he denounces minorities, um, denounces Arabs, says that they should Muslims should be banned. I mean, this is what Israelis love. Even Israel's education minister, this guy Naf, Naftali Bennett, the same guy who said Palestinians were committing self-genocide, that psycho, he actually yeah. came out and he was like, this is a huge victory for us. He was like, it's a tremendous opportunity for Israel to immediately announce its intention to renege on the idea of a Palestinian state. He was like, um, the era of a Palestinian state is over now. And it just shows you, I mean, even though Hillary was pledging that many billions of dollars, you know, more than any other president had ever pledged to Israel, Trump's rhetoric is what makes Israel so optimistic about his presidency and them being able to work together to really abolish Palestinian uh, rights you know, the whole banning Muslim things alone is great for them. Yeah. And and Dan Cohen went around and did man on the streets in Israel. And, and 90% of Israelis were saying, we, we love Trump. We want him to win, even though Bernie was running at the time, even though he was a Jew. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. I mean, uh, his dog whistling, you know, really, really um, resonated with certain people. I mean, I'm sure in Israel, as it sounds like, and in here, obviously, Mm -hmm. too. And I just wanted to correct the record really quickly. You know, I can understand why people think Trump is a fascist and a Nazi, or they're literally comparing him to Hitler. I mean, I can understand that because the mainstream media, you know, was kind of almost endorsing that point of view. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I do think Trump is horrible. He does say things that echo fascism. And he is obviously on some level a bigot, but I do think that getting to that hysterical fever pitch of like, he's a Nazi, he's a, he's going to bring fascism, like all that stuff was really intense and overboard. And I think that it pretty much forced, it like kind of 
indoctrinated, regular, well-meaning people here to get very, very, too, almost too emotionally invested in this election. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to remind people, uh, I keep seeing this meme all around now that Trump has been elected. Um, this meme now where people are like, remember, Hitler was elected. Actually, that is incorrect. Hitler was not elected. Um, he gained emergency powers after a Reichstag fire that his people in his own party staged. Um, he was given powers, emergency mm -hmm, powers. Mm -hmm. That's how he got to the level that he became. Right, right, so right. I just, I just want to just get people to calm down a little bit and just stop. You know, I mean, it's one thing to call Trump a fascist. I, that's fine if you want to do that. But don't like manipulate historical facts to try to make your point. Mm -hmm. It just makes you look stupid. Um, but <laughs> yeah, no, so I, we, yeah, we, exactly. So you said you, you, you were there during some of the anti-Trump protests. Yeah. And then so um, at that point, when we left Times Square, we saw the electoral map and it, and it made no sense that Hillary could have won at that point after I realized California was called. And so we were like, OK, this is over. And then we get home and it was just so surreal because the media was still not calling it. And Hillary Clinton, being the completely arrogant narcissist that she is thinks it's her turn so bad that she actually waited like two hours to even concede which was absolutely insane i mean come on the election was over when we were at times square everyone knew it there was no possible feasible way that she could have won knowing all the states that were left there were maybe like one out of five or whatever that could have even gone for her and so when we got home, we saw that the electoral map was frozen and all the media pundits were just kind of like waiting, like because they were probably waiting for her to make the call before they called it. And so it was just really awkward and, and surreal. So they showed the convention. All the Hillary supporters are like sitting there just, in, you know, terrified, tears running down their face. And all of a sudden Podesta, of all people, Podesta, the nuclear bomb of the Podesta emails that probably cost her the election at some, you know, in, in a way, comes out. Like, for some reason, she chooses this guy to come out and, and basically say, everyone go home. And it was weird, too, because at first he was like, he was like, um, you know, the election's not over. The, every vote counts. And he was like, everyone go home. Everyone go home. And we were just like looking at each other like, what is happening? <laughs> and it said like, Hillary's not going to come out and say anything tonight. And we were like, oh my God, this is so bad. I, 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 when I saw that, my heart dropped. <laughs> I mean, first of all, it was the optics of sending Podesta out after that weekend <laughs> nuclear bomb shit of him and his brother being like the fact that there was like the internet was on fire with this this obviously hysterical made up meme that him and his brother had kidnapped a woman a girl from Portugal <laughs> like nobody had seen his face really at all until um like I didn't even see him and his brother until your special actually like I didn't even yeah. know what his brother looked like mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden over the weekend they're like, look at this. Him and his brother mugshots like are the same mugshot or like not mugshots, but police composite drawings of these two people who kidnapped a little girl from Portugal. He's a secret child child sex trafficker. And in the midst of all that hysteria, um, she didn't, you know, she didn't have Tim Kaine go out there. She had John Podesta go out there. I hadn't even seen his face during the campaign to tell people to go to sleep, to go home, and they'll come back in the morning. It's too early to call. Obviously the the optics and the the visual of seeing an entire auditorium full of people sobbing in pain and terror would have been awful to show mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that's clearly why and hillary was probably really upset too so 
it actually made sense from it, right. like just a PR level right. to not show right. that on TV, even though it was very. It almost did seem to me like at first that Hillary wasn't going to concede. That was right, my right, right, exactly, exactly. But then, like two hours later, it was like we just got word she called Donald Trump and conceded, and I was like, "Holy fuck!" Yeah, like holy fuck. Because I bet you the media was She's probably like, gonna "We're not going to, we're not going to call this until you give us the go ahead." Because they're probably like, "Is this really, you know, are you going to like do anything else?" Yeah, and she was like, "And no. Fox News called it." at least 45 minutes before the other networks, mm-hmm. which I thought was interesting too. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, they called it first for Bush also. Uh, I don't know when, you know, I, I, I know, I'm pretty sure that's true that they mm-hmm. called it first for um, George W. Bush. But yeah, um, we were waiting for CNN and MSNBC to call it and, and they didn't call it for a long time. Um, and yeah, it was just really really bizarre and it was so Um, another super bizarre thing about it was donald trump's speech like donald trump okay you cannot tell me that donald trump actually went into this race thinking that he would win the presidency um it kind of all happened that way he's great at what he does he's a con artist and he's probably one of the best con artists i've ever seen in my life i mean if not the best he just won the fucking presidency like based on con artistry alone, promising everyone completely unattainable things, tapping into like every sector, like saying things that people want to hear that really without any sort of experience whatsoever, how could he know what he can and can't do? It's like you can say anything, you know, and because you're, quote, not a politician um, and because neoliberalism has indoctrinated everyone to hate the government and blame the government for all of your problems instead of capitalism and the economic the predatory economic structure that has forced you know like wall street into the government and now they are the government it's like people have such distrust of the government that they've now just picked a billionaire corporatist who who is a corporation like trump is a corporation like that's who our president is now um but but it was just so amazing because he he wins and the whole time I was like, you know, he doesn't really want to win. I just felt like he, this is like, he's just in over his head so much. He has no idea what the hell he's doing. He probably just wants this to be over. And, you know, and then, and then he wins and he goes out there and gives the most nonplussed, bizarre speech. <laughs> and his kid is like rocking around, like all like on Adderall. And he's just like up there and he's like, politics is a hard game. He's like, it's a tough, dirty game. Real tough, real dirty. And then he just says something about Mike Pence or something and and just saunters off. And you're like, well, and then and then you can't always get what you want starts playing again. Just like when Mike Pence, ladies and gentlemen, Mike Pence, that whole thing, when Donald Trump walked off the stage, when Mike Pence was like announced as his VP, you can't always get what you want. Started playing. Same thing when Donald Trump won. What the Like his fuck? own team like played that. That's so fucking it was bizarre. Absolutely insane. And, and he, I didn't even. I honestly didn't even know he had a kid that young. I was like, "Who is that kid?" I thought it was like Mike Pence's kid. I swear to God, I was like, "What?" Yeah, you know Melania is not happy either. She never asked for this. She just she's gonna be pissed that she has to go into the White House now. She had this billion dollar condo in Manhattan, plate yeah. of gold, and now she has to like. 
you know, be this first lady. She can't even speak. Like, this is another thing. I know this is probably really messed up to say, but what I find really bizarre about their partnership is that, yes, she speaks five languages and she's probably brilliant in her native tongue. But like, it seems like she can't speak English that well. And it's like, what is this relationship? Like, Donald Trump doesn't speak Ukrainian or whatever the hell, Latvian, right? Yeah, no. I mean, so... (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) <laughs> no, it's 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 really strange. I mean, to think that she's the first lady now, and uh, Michelle Obama has to like take her through the you know the White House, and that's you know that already happened today. Apparently, that Obama and Trump met, um, President Elect Trump, and uh, Michelle met she's with Slovenian. Them. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, but uh, Michelle and her had a little meeting today, and apparently they have never met before. These four people have never met before, which I thought was really surreal because um, we've seen them at the White House Correspondents' Dinner together multiple times, mm-hmm. um, but they've never actually met. So today was the first time ever that Donald Trump met Obama, um, and Obama seems very, very calm mm-hmm. about the whole thing. I mean, I guess he's not going to be visibly upset or shaken, but I mean, apparently when Reagan and, and Carter did this little Rose Garden, you know, White House meeting walkthrough, um, there was like visible disdain and awkwardness during the whole exchange. Yeah. Um, and this was like super chill. Uh, Donald Trump um, seemed really uh, like he was really happy to meet Obama. He even said like uh, in his typical Donald Trump fashion, he's like, good man, good man, like under his breath. Like talk like after he like turned away from Obama, like there was like a moment where he was like doing you know like that weird weirdness Donald Trump does. Um, so it seems like he's not taking to heart. I mean, this is all stupid, you know, armchair crap I'm saying right now, anyways. But it seems like he's not taking to heart all the you know Obama was making was making him out to be a joke the whole time he was running. Um, so you would think that based on Donald Trump sort of you know, fragile ego and how insecure he is that he would, you know, like kind of put his chin up to Obama and like not be very nice. Well, especially since this whole campaign was was predicated on Obama not being born here. Obama being like Mm -hmm. a secret Kenyan Muslim. And yes, Hillary did the birther stuff, put out the picture of him at the turban. But you cannot deny that Trump really led this charge of of birtherism. And and did you hear over the weekend there was thousands I think tens of thousands of new emails that dropped over the weekend. Mm-hmm. It felt like WikiLeaks had saved, you know, a huge cash for the very end, just like they said. But, you know, now that Hillary lost, I don't even know how much, how many reporters are going to be digging into those. But I noticed over the weekend there was already new stuff coming out about the birther charge that her campaign mm-hmm, made. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was more evidence to suggest that even earlier uh, than... Um, than she, you know, than we thought before. She was actually uh, d- dabbling in that very early on. Her campaign was and trying to figure out ways to make Obama seem like the other, like he's not an American and stuff. Which is kind of, I mean, it it goes even deeper than we knew before. Mm-hmm. And I think once we really have a chance to examine all these emails, we're going to understand much more clearly how Hillary Clinton. Uh, how just how bad she was how bad of a campaign she she ran um and just why even if she got into office 
that she could have been impeached. Yeah. And I really mean yep. that literally. Like, I'm not exaggerating. I did not believe that. Like, I, you know, all that lock her up, throw, you know, put her in jail, Hillary for prison. I thought that was all BS. There's no way anybody could touch this woman. She's too powerful. But after seeing more leaks coming out, the amount of stuff in there, the amount of incriminating stuff, just the Clinton Foundation not following the law stuff alone, I was like, holy shit, like, this really could this really could mess her up if she wins the presidency and the republicans get the house and senate she could be in she could they could start articles of impeachment like within the first hundred days mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean that's how serious it seemed to me so you know i don't even know if she would have lasted a, a second term or that's even through thing. her yeah, first look term at, look at how saying. much they blocked obama and you know yeah. call it call it what you will like what that was about um but hillary was so much worse going into it that i was like this is not going to go anywhere like oh, nothing yeah. this woman does is going to go anywhere <laughs> like i mean it yeah. was it was really bad like you knew going in there like tim kane's probably gonna be our president within a year i yeah. mean there was like three or f up to five federal investigations into her top um officials in the campaign and the clinton foundation and and here's what pisses me off the most. So, of course, now that the hubris is dissolved from all these elitist assholes and their ivory towers, now we can finally assess what, what this was really about. What really happened here? What went wrong for them? Um, we know what went wrong. We've been saying it the whole time. I knew waking up yesterday that I was going to be trolled really hard from people blaming me, <laughs> of course, right? Oh, I didn't, I didn't sycophantically just... Um, cover Hillary in a good light. It's because of people like me and my coverage of of being super critical of her. Oh, I'm sorry. I was trying to warn people what a horrible, horrible person and candidate she was. Me, as well as millions of other people around the world, were saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa this is so bad. This woman's so corrupt and criminal." So if you're going to predicate your whole campaign on beating Donald Trump, well, then maybe you should pick the person who would actually beat him, which was Bernie Sanders. Who had like a you know in those in that straw poll right at the beginning during the primary it showed him like crushing him and at the beginning even before all the podesta emails before all the scandal it showed hillary not even like neck and neck with him back then and that's when we knew something was really bad and they were forcing it down our throat this whole time you can't force popularity on someone on a whole population and you can't um also pretend like this is a campaign on something other than the status quo like looking exactly. looking back on it, it's like Obama ran on change on something that was different than Bush. That's who Trump is today. If you're looking at who was the populist candidate, the anti-establishment candidate, who was it? At, at, at a time when distrust in media is at an all-time high, distrust in government, hatred of Congress, where cockroaches have a more favorable rating than Congress, and you're going to tell me that Hillary Clinton's going to win. The most status quo establishment figure you could have pointed to, plagued with scandal and corruption for the last 30 years. I mean, honestly, I, I bought into it. I totally thought that even though all that stuff you just said standing, I thought that she had this in the bag. Mm -hmm. I really believed it. It got wacky enough for me. Like the emotional, let's just all admit, regardless of what theories you believed, the emotional intensity and the hysterical nature of the building up to the voting day was so intense that I think everybody who was c cared about what was happening 
was being driven towards a state of almost like mania, like like hypomania or something. Right. Like, I mean, just the rhetoric that was already out there was so intense. I mean, last time we did a podcast, we were like, what are the two main ele- election issues mm-hmm. right now that we keep hearing about? War with Russia and sexual assault. Right. I mean, when in the history of campaigning and presidential elections has it ever gotten that intense? I mean... You know, it would maybe it would have been that intense if during the first Cold War they brought up, uh, you know, if, like rape or like during the Cuban Missile Crisis or something. If like rape was on the table, like in, <laughs> right, the, right. in the debates, but it's so bizarre to me looking back on this, just how many people missed the obvious. And one of the to me one of the biggest obvious things is something that Tom Hartman uh, brought up on his show. I think it was last night. Where he asked Katrina uh, Katrina Vander Heuvel, um, what were Hillary Clinton's like top? Give me her top three platforms, like her top three issues. And first, he's like, I know Donald Trump's issues are immigration, terrorism, trade. Mm-hmm. Um, those, you know, build the wall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he, you could name them all very quickly. Mm-hmm, if someone mm-hmm. asked, if you did a random poll of people on the street and said, what were to- Donald Trump's mm-hmm, like top mm-hmm, three mm-hmm. platforms? You can name them very easily. Now, the question of what are Hillary Clinton's top three platforms, I'll just put the question to you, Abby. What are what are they? Oh, I, that's an excellent, excellent point. What I can tell you right now, here's her top platform. <laughs> Ready? Having a vagina. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, can you think of anything war with else? Ru- like wanting to escalate war with Russia. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. What a bizarre mixture yep. of campaign platforms. Femini- Quasi-phony um, feminism. And wanting to escalate us into a point of no return situation with Russia. How fucking bizarre is that? It, it, it was a campaign that was a fake <laughs> propped up house of cards by no one else other than the DNC, Hollywood, and the media. I mean, it was just, it, and that's what it was. It existed nowhere. Think, the enthusiasm behind her existed nowhere else on the ground. Do you think that? Do you think that this is almost like a case of them buying into their own yes. bullshit? Yes. Like the bubble that surrounded her believed believed because they were just trapped in the bubble? Yep. I could see them um, enlisting all these polls and doing all this stuff. And I mean, they've always ignored really like the the people on the ground. And, and Glenn Greenwald wrote an excellent article. And I wanted to just read um, a quick piece of it, which is... This is kind of just showing, you know, how do these things happen? How did Brexit happen? How did the elites, how were they so out of touch with the electorate? And like, you know, how did this come so out of left field? And he's just saying the elites devoted their energies to demonizing the victims of their corruption, all in order to delegitimize those grievances and thus relieve themselves of responsibility to meaningfully address them. Putting simply, Democrats knowingly chose to nominate a deeply unpopular, vulnerable, scandal-plagued candidate who for a very good reason was widely perceived to be a protector and beneficiary of all the worst components of status quo elite corruption. And everyone who tried to frantically warn these people that nominating her was such a huge gamble and that she could lose to anyone, you know, no one listened. And they they were just so into their own self-preservation and they just thought people were smarter than that, right? They don't understand that Kim Kardashian's the most famous person in this country. This is what we are. We worship these people. We worship reality stars. I mean, who knows how many What's people the- just out of pure backlash alone of what the media was ordering them to do for the last year. 
I mean, it's so fucking, it's tragic and it's also, I can't help but find it funny that the Southern, it's like the Democrats are, are you know, everyone's like, oh, they're going to become more liberal now. We have to turn more liberal. That's never going to, that's not going to happen. They're going to, they're going to go back to trying to do like a Southern strategy because now they can see the writing on the wall that they completely fucking, this, all this shit you're talking about backfired. Mm -hmm. Every, all of it. Because it re just reinforces this idea that the elites look down on all these regular people and think they're idiots and racists. Um, and like, remember when Hillary uh, Clinton was like doing that weird Southern twang, like mm -hmm. in 2008 to that, I don't know what audience she was speaking at, but she was doing, she was campaigning and she's like a Southern twang. Like who knew that that was a better strategy than what she did this time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean... I mean, as cartoonish and as over the top of, uh, that that was, that was more on the note. That was like more on the bullseye uh, than what she tried to do now. Like, so um, it is just, uh, and yeah, Glenn Greenwald, I mean, as much of I, as I have been critical of his, of, of some of his writings in the past year and just his focus, I think he's, he's turned out um, consistently over the last few months leading to the election, like some of the best stuff he's ever written for the intercept i mean since he's been mm -hmm. writing there um him and, and lee fang um uh zaid is that his name the guy mm -hmm. the other writer for the intercept they've been pushing extremely hard against as they should be because no one in the mainstream media is this idea that russia is interfering with our elections and that somehow trump is you know putin's manchurian candidate i mean at the very least um they have been pushing back against that and i think that's extremely important because the alternative media um, hasn't, parts of the alternative media have bought into that. Right. And and um, let me just say that, like debunk that really quickly, because Hillary Clinton said that so many times. We just put out this Podesta piece that everyone should watch. But, you know, this montage of the deflection of all of these Hillary campaign people, Robbie Mook, Donna Brazil, Neera Tandon, Podesta himself, Hillary, of course, saying they're going to treat well, first of all, that Russia hacked the DNC and they deflect every question about the leaks to Russia's doing this. But Hillary takes it one step further and says she's going to treat it like a, a act of war and that she will militarily respond um, to hacking. First of all, the U.S. hacks more than any other country in the world. They're hacking Russia every day. I mean, this is something that look at the fuck the EU phone call like this is stuff that these world powers do to each other all the time. So. That aside, there is no evidence presented to anyone um, that actually proves Russia was behind the hack. The only two agencies that actually made a statement about it, Hillary keeps saying 17 intelligence agencies have said it, and it just was repeated ad nauseum throughout the media with no question at all. Well, it's actually not true. It was two. The DHS and the DNI, the Director of National Intelligence and the Department of Homeland Security, and their statement actually doesn't say Russia did it. It just says these hacks are consistent with the methods of Russian intelligence. And like, this is not new to Moscow. Like they've done this before. And it's like, wait, this is, this is it. That's it. So it was just funny when you like really narrow it down to like, okay, what did they really say? Oh, wow. They didn't say shit. You know, and it just yeah. doesn't, it doesn't prevent anyone from going out there and saying Russia not only hacked us, but now we need to bomb, like basically respond militarily, whatever that means to a nuclear state for something that hasn't been proven to anyone. Very interesting. Yeah, and I wanted to just 
do a little armchair analysis about that dynamic that I think might be talked about later down the road once all this you know this storm dies down um just imagine just for a second what so obama himself if you look at what he said about the dnc hacks and the you know um if wikileaks you know we have to remind people that the actual hacks that happened to the dnc there is never any evidence to connect them to the information that was leaked on wikileaks never they were trying to conflate a real hack that took place on the DNC with the the email mm -hmm. leaks. Um, now we've never we never had any evidence that those were the same event. It could have been an insider who leaked those emails. Um, and based on some of the internal audits and comments inside some of those emails, to me that possibility seems more and more likely. Especially when you see some people acting shocked at how corrupt the Clinton Foundation is in internal emails. People acting confused and surprised about how milk toast Hillary's campaign platforms were from day one of when she launched her campaign. There's a panicked email in there where some some guy they hired to assess their campaign platforms was completely floored by how bad the launch um, campaign was. Mm -hmm. Like he was just like, I don't understand. What, how do you think you're going to get votes? Um, there's no populism in here. There's nothing exciting. There's nothing trying to reach young voters. He's like, I do not understand what this is about. Like, if I have a problem understanding what Hillary wants to do, regular voters will. Let's talk a little bit more I mean, about what... Yeah, yeah. I know, sorry, I know that you're in the middle of a rant, but keep going. I, what, no, I, I mean, I just wanted to just quickly mention this, so this idea that Obama very... I would say he very vaguely and barely acknowledged this idea that he that you know that did he really believe russia was interfering with our elections with wikileaks i would say probably not based on what he actually said because on one side we were being hyped up and propagandized to think that russia was cyber attacking us a very serious accusation and that russia might actually do like a coup de gras cyber attack on the day of the election to manipulate the voting results to Trump. Notice how nobody in the media is saying that mm -hmm. now, which I think is very interesting. Right, 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 right. Because right. you would think if the media really bought into that idea, if people in the media really bought into it, which it seemed like they did, because we, we were talking about this last time we did the podcast, and on, even on MSNBC they were echoing that. It seems to me now that maybe they were just letting that rhetoric of the Hillary campaign, you know, go out on the media and maybe they didn't necessarily believe it either. Um, because notice how nobody in the media said that we need to look into if there were hacks done on voting machines to see if this swayed the results to Trump. There must have been a pretty quick calculation or assessment done to the voting to show that that couldn't have been possible. Mm -hmm. But that aside, I think it's very important to see what Obama's response here was, because imagine if you're the president of the United States and you have someone who you already, it's already out there. I mean, there's no rumor about this, that the Clintons and the Obamas do not like each other. There's a lot of evidence out there to suggest that especially Bill Clinton and Obama hate each other. Um, there's been a lot of conversations off the record that have been leaked. You can read online that, I mean, the, the hatred is, is, is very deep. Um, and even that that um, name Hildebeest that you hear, like people on the alt-right using to describe Hillary, that apparently came from Michelle Obama mm -hmm. herself. And I'm not, I'm not making this up. This isn't me 
fucking up and saying another Yoko Ono style thing from last time, which I need to apologize for because that was actually incorrect. I apologize for <laughs> repeating one of those. That was from a fake website. Very embarrassed about that. Um, but what I'm trying to say is if you're the president of the United States and you have someone you're, that's campaigning to take your office on the Democratic side going out there and acting like Russia is currently cyber attacking the United States, imagine the kind of pressure and awkward position that put Obama in. Because on one hand, you have her making Obama look weak, like he's not addressing that Russia is cyber attacking us. But so if he doesn't say anything to like acknowledge it or to confirm it, then he looks weak. But then if he confirms it and acknowledges it, um, you know, if he did a speech, let's say if Obama went out to the Rose Garden and did a speech about how Russia launched a cyber attack, they hacked the DNC, this is a national security issue, it would, it would escalate things even more, the tensions even more with Russia. Obama probably knows that. There are probably people in his staff who know that. So for some reason, he decided to vaguely address it like one or two times in an interview with a, a reporter. Now, I think that... Um, I just think that this is going to be looked at, you know, ret retroactively, like as a really, just a really bizarre, crazy thing that Hillary's campaign was trying to do, which is not only putting the president of the United States in that awkward position, but also ratcheting people's fear levels up to this hysterical heights. At the same time, they're trying to tell you that Trump is a Nazi, a fascist, a Ku Klux Klan supporter. Oh, and then guess what? Russia is going to hack the election to get Trump to win because he's secretly a Manchurian candidate. I mean, that is so intense um, and so irresponsible that I cannot imagine that Obama and his like inner circle were happy about that. Well, we already um, know that every step of the way, Hillary was pushing Obama more to the right, whether it be the Ukrainian arms shipments or the no-fly zone in Syria we know based on firsthand reports that she was the most, you know, John McCain-esque member of the National Security Cabinet. So I'm totally unsurprised that she's gone out there way more. Look, this is what she would have been as president. I mean, here's Obama sitting president still <laughs> and Hillary going out there making the most outrageous crackpot conspiracy theory of all that Russia has now like you know, he's like he's puppeteering Trump and they're going to usurp our whole democracy. I mean, it was completely outlandish. I think that people never bought it because it was a total joke and it was a complete mistake on her part to think, first of all, that people are scared of Russia. Like no one's scared of Russia right now. Her own personal hatred for Putin um, really, really affected her her sensibility here, I think. Oh, absolutely. I mean, on one hand, I guess politics of fear, you know, can 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 help you, you know, or you can it can help you win or get an advantage. But in this case, I think it I think you're right. It totally backfired. I mean, there was definitely some like Democrats. I mean, and that's the really sad thing is a lot of Democrats lost their credibility forever based on their willingness to go along with that hysterical propaganda. I mean, Kirk. Kurt Eichenwald, you know, he was like a regular, like, shoe leather, you know, establishment reporter who would occasionally release, like, good exposés. And now his credibility is absolutely ruined. He's, it's, it's toast for what he did and the, and the hysteria that he tried to perpetuate, echoing Hillary's bullshit about Russia. Yeah, and it's, so, and it's yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, now we just have this problem now where it's like, well, all you guys bought into this shit and I can't trust anything you have to say anymore. Yeah, exactly. Because it's so emotionally manipulative. And and it's just um it's just astonishing how, you know, now that the Hillary campaign is not driving us and escalating these Cold War tensions, you know, I think what's really happened, everyone is like falsely, like there's people who are like libertarian or who are more like really anti-Hillary and didn't want, you know, uh, escalation with Russia who are like, oh, well, now World War Three is averted. You know, Trump, look what Putin did. He put out an olive branch to Trump. Everything's like fine now. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, the only reason that the media isn't talking about this is because Hillary's campaign was pushing them to talk about it. I mean, for the most part, and at least in the last like three or four months. Um, but I don't think that it's been averted at all. I mean, that's extremely naive to think that just because most of that was coming from Hillary, that somehow the D.C. establishment will now listen to Trump wanting to make nice with Russia. Right. I mean, it's incredibly naive. Right. And let's let's well, um, I want to get to who's going to be on his advisory board and, and who might be in his cabinet in a second. But let's go. Let's let's talk more about like what what happened here. What did Hillary do wrong and really the demographics of of who actually came out because i think it's important to talk about um especially when people are going to blame third parties again right um people like oh god yeah, like well, they, and they are, yeah, yeah. Of course. people like rachel maddow so awful the only and i i spent yesterday just going to like kind of every commentator and just seeing what they were saying especially the people who've been like unabashedly like you know pro hillary this whole time people like rachel maddow her her only mm-hmm. tweet yesterday was a screen cap of an article. The title of the article was, yes, third parties are to blame Jill um, Jill Stein and Gary Johnson did cost Hillary the election, and here's why. And I was like, oh, great, can't wait. And it was so funny because the article actually doesn't say that at all. It's so pathetic. It talks about how in, in a couple key states, if all of Gary Johnson supporters and all Jill Stein voters all voted for Hillary... Then she would have won those three states. And it was like, wait, why? First of all, you're not only saying, okay, so there should be no third parties. It should just be two, (laughs) which is insane. And then on top of that, you're saying that all Gary Johnson supporters would have voted for Hillary. Like, I'm sure a lot of them wouldn't have voted at all if it was between the two choices. It was just the most nonsensical logic. And to actually put that out there and be like, here, this is how they cost in the election. It's like, wow, you need to look at yourself in the fucking mirror and ask yourself, is this really what you want to be putting out there right now? Like you are not going to take one ounce of responsibility for protecting and promoting one of the worst candidates, one of the most distrusted corrupt candidates that's ever been out there and not blame your network at all, not mention any of the collusion with the media and the Clinton campaign and just say, you know what? It was Jill Stein's fault. It was Jill Stein and Gary Johnson supporters. If they all just banded together and voted for Hillary in Wisconsin and Michigan, then hey, Trump wouldn't be president. It's like, it just makes me sick because it's not true. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't even make sense. And even some other guy said, here's another fact. If every single Green Party voter had chosen Hillary in Arizona, Florida, um, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Hillary would have still lost. She still would have lost. That's how many Trump voters came out and crushed her. It has nothing to do with third parties at all. It's about Democrats losing their own votes. If you look at the last three elections, I think six to seven million, maybe six million uh, voters who were Democrats, registered Democrats, 
did not show up that they did in 2012. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And then if you look at 2008, it was like double. So, so, and then you look at the Republicans across the last three elections and it's kind of the same. It's about the same amount. So I, so yes, I think a lot of new Trump people did come out and maybe tip the scales a little bit, but really it was the lack of enthusiasm for the Democratic candidate. And that's what the problem was. And they cannot blame anyone else but themselves. And it's just a dip. It's a drastic decline from the last three elections in participation. And a lot of people just stayed home. And I know a lot of people who voted for the propositions and ballot initiatives and didn't vote for president or voted third party um, or just didn't, you know, they chose to abstain because they honestly didn't know who was the lesser evil. And I and I do know quite a few people who did that. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that that, you know, that so many... I guess so fewer people showed up Democrats to vote for Hillary. I mean, that this is the problem is that against all advice, against all the obvious markers, against even the the polling where they were showing how Hillary would match up to Trump versus Bernie very early on in this process, nobody listened. Nobody listened. I mean, everyone just went along with it. And it just really goes to show that this bubble and this consensus, this like believing in their own bullshit approach completely backfired and failed on them. I mean, absolutely insane. I mean, especially when you factor in the fact that the DNC was actively working against Bernie. And let's talk about that. The media was actively. Yep. And, and even, even though I, you know, I very strongly dislike Trump, you can't deny the things in the in the emails that show that people like Donna Brazil, um, well, and and other uh, reporters were getting fed questions from the Hillary campaign to ask Trump. I highly doubt that that happened on the other side. I highly doubt right. it. Oh yeah, no, of um, course. And if that came out, it would have been, so, been he would have been ruined. Yeah, that's that's terrible looking for Hillary and terrible looking for all the people who carried water for her. That's really, really, really bad. And that and that makes them all look like they're in on some kind of fix, which in some way they are. Yeah, and they so, were so arrogant um, that they had they thought that they could do all of this. And that's why the Podesta emails were so key in all of this, because it really showed you the intricacies of how this so-called progressive wing of the establishment works. Yes, they're, um, they're much better at kind of hiding their corruption, you know? Like, I didn't even know that mm-hmm. Think Progress was even like a front for Center for American Progress. I didn't know Center for American Progress was this um, oil-backed Dow Chemical um, Gulf Monarchies like funded think tank that was pushing through all this so-called progressive agenda in D.C. It's shocking when you look at it. But in the within the DNC, what the Podesta emails revealed is how much they actually did try to crush Bernie. The Pied Piper strategy. There was one leak that came out an email that talks about their strategy of elevating the most batshit loony bin candidates, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. Um, They actually worked with the media and said, we need to convince the media. And of course, we know how many media surrogates were on on board, you know, like 60 people or whatever was was were invited to John Podesta's house for an off the record like cocktail party to get HRC's message out there um, before even the candidacy began. So um, the Pied Piper strategy was to elevate Donald Trump and make the media legitimize him. 
So when you look at like the 24-hour the infomercial for Trump, he's thrived more than anyone else that I've ever seen on negative press. And I think that that's really, really fascinating. And so it, it backfired once again, is that her whole strategy was elevating Donald Trump because she thought he would be such an easy person to beat. Well, guess what happened? You created this monster. You elevated this monster. You promoted him. Um, another thing is picking Tim Kaine. I mean, you know, they blew off progressives. Like you were saying, they're not going to court Democrats or progressives now. This is not going to be their strategy now. It's like, oh, we screwed up by demonizing Bernie and all and all of his supporters and calling them whack jobs and stuff. That's going to be the opposite of what they're going to do. They're going to go and try to court all the Trump supporters, um, and which is really crazy because it's just once again, the Democratic Party is going to be even more right wing beyond centrist and we're going to be abandoned. Um, the whole Tim Kaine pick was completely confusing to everyone it was almost like a vanity pick because it was like who's the most non-person that i can get that won't overshadow me you know it was bizarre it was like why didn't you pick a person of color elizabeth warren or a double woman ticket it was the most boring generic centrist guy who was anti-choice personally <laughs> like and, and then it came out another leak that they were going to pick a republican for the supreme court so what, like the argument, it's just like every argument that people use to fearmonger people into voting against the other candidate, like just was thrown out entirely. Yeah. Yeah. They ignored Greens. They acted like Green Party members um, should, like they acted like they deserved their vote, right? They called climate change activists crazy. Hillary said they should get a life joking around at Goldman Sachs executives. Um, this is what they think. She's the fracking queen. She's the queen of the oligarchy. I'm sorry, but you did nothing to court progressives at all. And then you turn around and blame them for you losing. Well, we're not going to play that game anymore. Sorry. It's a trap. It always has been a trap and it always will be a trap. And look at, and look at yeah, what it's it, funny. Yeah, go on. I was just going to say it's funny because as crazy and as dumb as the Republicans are, they I don't remember them blaming the Tea Party. I don't remember John McCain's people blaming the Tea Party for his loss. I don't remember um, Romney blaming the Tea Party for his loss. It's almost kind of a similar thing. It's like they at least they're smart enough to know that those are a part of their voting base to some extent that they need to somehow capture. Um, but instead, the Democrats excoriate and shame and finger wag what they describe as the far left and they think that's going to help them get them votes by shaming and making the people feel guilty that are like the most principled strong most passionate sector of the left like you're fucking delusional if you think that's a strategy that's going to work that just shows and i hate to use language that sounds like trump but it does show how elitist and detached these fucking people are yeah 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 yeah. and that guy little green footballs charles johnson was like just saying like the far left is to blame for what happened like the far left the far left it's like what are you talking what about the, the far left is so marginalized that their voice isn't even hasn't even been like heard or included in this debate you fucking idiot like you've done your best to stifle the yeah, far Yeah, don't left. blame the 46% percent of eligible voters who literally did not show up at all. Half of America no, didn't even care. This is such a bullshit blame game. It's and the sad thing is these people have such low level of self-awareness that they cannot see that they are the reason right. that people didn't right, come out exactly. to vote. Exactly. Another thing that I think yeah. is really interesting, here was the nuclear bomb. 
Obamacare and trade. And Trump, you know, Trump may not have known what the hell he was doing, but he sure as fuck knew that NAFTA was one of the most destructive economic um, bills that have ever been passed. And that really points directly, not just like, like um, out in the ether for Hillary. I mean, she was married to the man who passed it. And we know how much they work together as a unit, House of Cards style. So NAFTA was really the bullet, I think, because he went out there to all these working class neighborhoods, Detroit, Flint, all these places that really were cataclysmically affected by NAFTA. And he went there and said, I'm going to renegotiate these deals. We're going to bring these jobs back. It's like, what could she say to these people? She she did it. Yeah. Yeah, she would have to reverse. She would have to reverse on NAFTA. I mean, that's the that's the thing too. I think there's even um, there's even stuff that she said. Uh, she admitted to not, you know, like the theory that they work together as a unit. I mean, we already know they do, but but she's actually admitted that she helped um, Clinton, her husband, decide on NAFTA. Yeah. She also takes credit for the bombing of Yugoslavia. Um, Yugoslavia, yeah, she said that that was her. She pushed uh, Bill to do that. Um, so that's very fascinating that she she can't just act like that has nothing to do with her, um, but yet she's she chose not to really address it at all. She didn't even really defend NAFTA. I mean, that's the thing. It's like she tried to dodge a lot of these criticisms that Trump was leveling, and I think it hurt her in the long term because of it. I mean. She, you know, the T, the, the, her quasi resistance against the TPP seemed like one of the only attempts that her campaign made to put like a progressive spin on what she was doing. But then I mean, the emails, no, but then the that? emails came out that proved that it was all a shell. Um, that oh, she, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah they, they, it's like, that's what I mean by it was quasi. Like they want, I mean, the public perception was that it seemed like she really was against it, but of course not. No. I and mean, that's, and it, and it bit her in the ass. I mean, look. People care about this. You assholes in Washington may think that these trade deals are great because your corporate sponsors are going to benefit greatly from them. But for the rest of people, look at it decimated the economy. uh, And that actually caused a lot of the immigration. Donald Trump, of course, never made that whole circular logic, but it did. And TPP is going to be that on steroids because it's going to be 12 different countries all around the world creating this secret court tribunal. And it's just, I think people were just so shocked at the massive resistance to TPP and that Hillary was basically one of the main backers of it going into this whole thing. It's like just totally out of touch with what people want before Trump takes office. Obama's actually going to try to pass the TPP. How insane are these people? Like that, that's going to help you. That's going to help the Democratic Party. That's going to help the progressive cause. Look at Obamacare. This is another main issue that Trump is saying. First of all, this is going to gridlock the fuck out of Congress, what we're going to now overturn, overturn Obamacare. But once again, if the, if the Democrats actually just tried to pass single payer or even the public option, this wouldn't be happening. This wouldn't be happening right. because they capitulated to the corporate class and the health insurance agencies and thought that neoliberalism and having the health insurance agencies just draft this bill that that was going to be good for everyone. And now it's completely backfired. Now premiums are doubling and the fine is doubling. I want it overturned now. Like, are you kidding me? This is this was your plan? If only you just gave a single pair, huh? Oh, this is the path to single pair. There's no fucking path to single pair. That was it. That was your chance. And now it's going to be overturned 
Back to square one, everyone. Great job. Well, here's the weird thing about that. I was just thinking as you were saying that, how interesting is it that Obama's like two big ass weird like shifts happen like right at the very end of this whole fucking thing. I mean, the doubling of the rates of um, the Obamacare thing happened. It was almost like Obama was like, fuck, I can't. We can't stop this. We made such a shitty deal (laughs) that that this has to come out. And the fact that it came out right before the election is like, wow. In actuality, even though some of the Republicans were being crazy, you know, anti-Obamacare for the wrong reasons, like part of what they were saying was was true. Like, that's really fucking bad. You know, like as much as they tried to tape it up and 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 all the messaging and stuff, it ended up being that the that the rates doubled. That is really bad for everybody who needs health care. I mean, it's just fundamentally a problem. And then the James Comey thing coming out right before the end. I mean, it really does make me wonder, and I don't want to give too much armchair analysis, but how much Obama knew this had to have come out and knew this is like inevitable that both the, the you know, FBI was going to have to have to say something again about Hillary's emails and this Obamacare thing, like, it's just, it's really crazy to think this came out so late in the game, because I do think, um, combined with everything else, the leaks, it definitely swayed the election towards Donald Trump. Absolutely. And definitely. and what was funny, too, is Comey also, it came out later that he refused to put his name or agency onto the statement that said Russia hacked the DNC. He balked at it, and he was like, this is way too soon to the election, first of all, to b- publicly blame like a hostile adversary that they had, that they like committed an act of war against us. He was like, I'm absolutely not going to do this. And then it was just really fascinating. It came out with the, the investigation thing. It was the Comey thing. It was all the Podesta leaks. It was the Obamacare hike because two weeks prior or maybe a month prior when the tape came out saying I grab women by the pussy. I mean, it was over for him. It was totally over for him. Then she was way she had skyrocketed in the polls. I think an interesting point to make about that is that Billy Bush lost his job for it and Donald Trump became president. Isn't that funny? For like these yeah. like misogynist rapey comments, it's like someone could lose their career, but then someone could actually win the presidency. I know. That's so funny that he, oh my God, that, 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 and you're, and what you said on the last podcast was hilarious is the only Bush. <laughs> ever to like have have to like pay for his mistakes <laughs> it's in a way it's really sad i mean i kind of i do feel a little bit sorry for him for having to do that i mean and and honestly like it it, it remember how we were like oh they're gonna drop another trump tape like it seemed like they had they were sitting on that and stuff so i guess they didn't have anything else right yeah. Yeah, I mean, and they thought that I mean, they thought that all these endorsements from neocons, Fortune 500 CEOs, and these lifelong Republicans and military members would sway it in, in Hillary's favor. Like, are you kidding me? Yeah, and actually, I'm just remembering now, and this might be totally off base, but it seemed like the Hillary campaign also put some little things out after that, grabbing by the pussy tape, to try to imply Trump might have also be a pedophile. And one of those tapes that they that came out after that was a tape of a, of Trump saying to like a thirteen year old girl that he's gonna like marry her, he's gonna date her in ten years, who was like at Trump Tower, 
And I remember on Facebook, a bunch of people were like, oh my God, like this is fucking sick. Like this guy is really sick. And then that, that idea that he was saying, like, um, he thinks his like daughter is attractive and he would date her if he wasn't his, her own, you know, his daughter or whatever, like that started to make the rounds again. So it does make me wonder, part of me is wondering if part of that Podesta conspiracy theory shit was like, like almost retaliation or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does seem like a lot of that organically formed in these alt-right crowdsourced, like, leak digging. But at the same time, like, it really escalated to a level I have never really seen before that quickly. That by Saturday, they were circulating a picture saying, Podesta and his brother are wanted for child kidnapping. Like, send this to the FBI, like, right away. I mean, it got to such a hysterical level that I do wonder if the Trump campaign had anything to do with that shit. Um well, but of course like they did, because Breitbart, well, I mean, look at who was advising him, Breitbart, and like James yeah. O'Keefe-style people, like they will sink to new lows that we can't even imagine, um, and that's, and I'm sure that's it, what happened, because they knew that that would probably take off with all these like Alex Jones people. Yeah. Well, and then Alex Jones started the demon meme about three or four weeks ago saying that Hillary's a demon. He, he was even saying that Secret Service and FBI sources he talks to say that she's possessed by a demon. He was telling this to his listeners. And then when the, by the time all that child sex trafficking, spirit cooking shit hit, he acted like he, he was, had discovered and he had proof now that Hillary was a demonic occultist who was running a child sacrifice, like child molestation ring across the world with all these elitists. Like, and imagine how popular Alex Jones is now. That rhetoric putting out there is extremely dangerous. I mean, to say that our leaders are literally demons, honestly, I was thinking, you know, how intense, I mean, this is a realistic possibility that there could have been a moment there where if Hillary won, um, you know, Alex Jones could say, we need to go cleanse DC of these demons. That's what, I, that's what like, we were saying. Yeah, that's what we were saying when, we, when scary, we saw him man. crying and saying like these people are, are sacrificing children because of some Podesta email saying like, hey, my kids are going to be there. Like we can hang out in the, the pool and like, ha and, like yeah. be entertained by our kids. And he, he took that to mean like we are going to sacrifice fucking kids and eat them or whatever he thinks these people do. Um, I, I was watching it thinking there's so many millions of people who follow Alex Jones and now like this level of legitimacy, he's been signal boosted now by the establishment, also beginning to be legitimized by the Trump presidency. This is extremely scary that people actually think that there are satanic occultist demons inside the government and that, I mean, so, so yeah, like you just said, so are they going to go kill them? Like, are they, what are they going to do about that? Because if they actually think that they are devils and killing children, I don't even know. I mean, it, it is horrifying that this is where this rhetoric went. And it just, it just discredits everything else too, which really pisses me off. Because here, you know, we, we busted our asses doing this Podesta piece and putting all the most credible things that we, we could possibly do together and then, like, it's just overshadowed by all of these insane alt-right people who say that they're running a child sex trafficking ring. It's like, dude, what what is going on here? Like, why are you guys doing this? Why don't we just focus on what we can prove and what we know? Like, I know all of you aren't evangelical Christians, right? 
So, like, do you even believe in, in Satanism? Like, do you believe that these people actually are practicing that? It just didn't make any sense to me. It didn't either to me because I'm not a evangelical Christian. I've never believed in Satan. You know, I've, I, I know enough about the occult to understand that, like, some flaky idiot artist who baits rich people into getting, you know, picking up on her shit, drawing pentagrams on the wall and writing spirit cooking recipes is flaky, not even like based on any real occult rituals whatsoever. Um, so I was just astonished at how quickly it escalated and then it became hilarious and fascinating to watch sort of almost like this autistic level, beautiful mind, man, like collective manic episode happening between all these people where it got to the point where they were saying Comet Ping Pong, this pizza parlor in DC was a secret child sex trafficking ring because Podesta talks about Comet Ping Pong and he's using code for, you know, handkerchief is code for this and cheese pizza is code for fucking a little boy. And I mean, it, it got to the point where I was like, damn, this is really intense. And, and, and the way Alex Jones, when I saw that Alex Jones was reacting to it and also parroting it, I got scared. Right. I actually right. got scared. And I was thinking right. what you and I used to talk about years ago about how Alex Jones is building up this dangerous, basically an army of loyal, blind, loyal followers who are heavily armed, who are evangelical Christians can be pushed over the edge into thinking that Satanists, you know, actual demons, not even just satanic practitioners, right. but now the DC is filled with fucking demons. Right. I mean, it's like Demon Night, the movie, where now it's time to go fucking hunt the demons. It's like, that is really, really, really dangerous. And it was, there was a weird, interesting moment where when uh, I went back and watched the live broadcast from the moment when Trump won, just to see how Alex Jones reacted... And he was up for 52 hours. I don't know if he's heard about his 52-hour long broadcast. So he was like punch drunk, acting ultra weird, tired, silly, like, you know, by the time Trump won. And him and Roger Stone crack open a, a bottle of champagne and start... Um, Wait, Roger you know, Stone was like there with Alex Jones? Oh, yeah. He's been there for the past year. He's been a regular... He's weekly on Alex Jones' show. Um, so Roger Stone is there. And I and, and Alex Jones just kept turning to Roger Stone and going, oh, man, this is so amazing. This is this. Is the the Republic is back, folks. Like the, we, the America's back. Like this is the best thing ever happened to the Republic. We have a last stand against New World Order. And he's like, he's like, Aren't, don't we, Roger? And then he like turned to Roger. And I was I was like, whoa, Ro, Ro, something like Roger Stone looks spooked. Like he does not like it almost seemed like Roger Stone was not expecting Trump to win or something like I was actually like, a, like, just noticing the whole time. Like Roger Stone looked frozen, spooked, and weirded out by what had just happened. And I, I want to look back at that video and to see what Roger Stone has to say in the following days because I don't know. It almost seemed like he didn't expect a Trump win, and maybe he knows things about Trump that spook him. I don't. It was a, it was a bizarre reaction hmm. to watch it. Um, you know, and you would expect Roger Stone would be more excited than anybody. Right. Yeah. Right. That is very it odd. Was, it was very, very surreal, um, and it kind of chilled me watching it. You know, I was like, "Oh, that's weird." Well, people are just you know, so but... they just jump on the bandwagon so much. It's like John Podesta and Tony Podesta are elite um, culinary masters. Like their mom, Mary Podesta, was known in D.C. for cooking these meals and 
quote unquote knew more lobbyists than Democratic senators. That was like some quote from Washington Post or whatever. Like mm-hmm. she'd raise millions and millions of dollars for all of these people and she knew everyone and da da da. And it was through her cooking skills. And so John and Tony, I even saw John Podesta on some like cooking show. Like they're they're known for their masterful cu- culinary skills. So I just thought it was funny. Yeah. The second that I heard about the spirit cooking thing, I was like, oh, like, well, obviously people will realize that like because they have these like really highbrow dinners and because he is like really high up in like this art world that people will put two and two together and realize that it's not like an occult thing. And no, un- unfortunately, that didn't happen. Yeah. And how funny is it, too? It's like I'm I mean, I, I don't know if people know much of my background, but like I I make experimental music. I've been involved in these like sort of, you know, highbrow like I, I everything. There's a huge spectrum. So there's like all the way on the low end of the spectrum. You go to these sort of like warehouse parties that are almost basically in people's living spaces where people throw noise shows, you know, do like renegade art gallery sort of, um, you know, avant-garde art, uh, you know, installations all the way to like the Guggenheim and like uh, MoMA and, um, you know, the most highbrow art museums that you can imagine in the world. There's similar things happening in those, but it takes on this character being like, oh, this is really high class. This is really cutting edge art. And there's a lot of rich elitist people because they they're, they think they have sophisticated taste. They think they're really sophisticated people. It's almost like an industry designed to bait and suck money like a vacuum from rich morons. Mm, right. I mean, I'm sure that you've you've seen some of this dumb art where it's like you go to a gallery and it's like $30,000 a painting and the painting is literally like that looks like a splatter painting done by like a child, you know, with like a finger paint or something. Mm-hmm. It's like that's the level of like the highbrow art world has gotten. It's the most flaky head up its ass like everybody believing their own bullshit world there is. And John Podesta is heart. He's in the heart of that. He has, I mean, even these people were saying this art gallery he built under his house was a child sex dungeon. Oh God, you know, who I would can't. Build a, who would build it? It's too much. It's crazy. I, I mean, I don't even want to talk about this anymore because it's just so fucking stupid. And Trump is our president now. So all these people, great job. Um, <laughs> you were swindled by a con artist. Mike Pence is our president now. If you think that you voted for Trump, you didn't. Because Trump, he already asked Kasich to be his VP, and they told Kasich that we want you to run foreign and domestic policy. And Kasich said, well, what would Trump be doing? And he was like, well, he's just the brand. You would be really running the show. So if you want to look at who's our president and who, if you voted for Trump, who you really voted for, that's Mike Pence. And Mike Pence is actually on par with Dick Cheney. Um, as the governor yeah. of Indiana, he spent the last couple of years trying to um, conversion therapy. Okay, not just blocking same-sex marriage, conversion therapy. Like I don't, I even think he's as, as crazy, if not crazier, than Ted Cruz. Like he looks yeah. like a bust. He looks really sleek and like shiny, like a mask, and like doesn't look really crazy. Like you're like, oh, he might be like statesmanly, but like he mm-hmm. is a psycho. All right. So that's who our president is now. You were pointing out how, um, you know, John Bolton and all these people like talk about what you've been seeing. You've been following the neocons a lot more than I have. You made a, a documentary about them called A Very Heavy Agenda. They've been courting Trump. You know, not all of the establishment has uh, 
has detached themselves from Trump. A lot of people jumped on the Trump bandwagon from the beginning, like Rudy Giuliani, the pioneer of stop and frisk, yeah. the racist policy that doesn't work at all, that Trump keeps talking about law and order. He keeps talking about, you know, um, policing the inner cities. It's like, what what does this actually yeah. mean? Like, what what is going to happen here? Well, I mean, let's I guess let's start with Mike Pence, because mm. that's the most obvious one because there's so many indicators that Mike Pence will be the most powerful vice president technically in history. And part of that started with Donald Trump Jr. calling Kasich and offering him sort of indirectly the VP slot before Trump had decided. And Kasich claims that in that phone call, he was told he would be the most powerful vice president in history and that he would be in charge of foreign and domestic policy. Now, if that sounds cartoonish and bizarre to you, it's because it is. Um, it actually implies some of the more, you know, not even out there theories that Trump wasn't even necessarily running seriously for president, that this is all just for his ego, that he is a narcissist, and that he doesn't even really understand government and really understand the intricacies and the policies of that all these Republicans have developed about around foreign policy. He needs advisors. He needs people who are already plugged into the establishment. Mike Pence is, as you mentioned, a total. I think he's an evangelical Christian. I didn't even know he did. He was like, you know, helping promote conversion therapy. That's fucking insane. Um, but to me, one of the weirdest moments happened where. Um, in the vice presidential debates uh, with Mike Pence, I mean, I'm sorry, with Mike Pence versus Tim Kaine, um, and I don't think this got enough coverage, but this is the moment when I knew something was really awry in the Trump campaign, was they got to the subject of Syria, and Tim Kaine was saying, you know, your guy, you know, Trump, he wants to, you know, let let us Assad stay in power. He He, he thinks Assad is good, and you know, we can't just go after ISIS and then let Assad stay there. You know, he's killing thousands of his own people and blah, blah, blah. And then Mike Pence just interjected um, that, no, he wants a no-fly zone in Syria and he wants to overthrow Assad. And so right after the debate was over, almost all the media commentators were like kind of baffled by what had just happened. They're like, <laughs> did you guys just hear that Mike Pence said like a completely different position than anything Trump has ever said? And people were like, yeah, we noticed that. That's weird. Let's ask Trump about that. So they called Trump. And apparently, um, let me read his quote here. Wait a second. Um, so Trump was asked later why it was such a weird 180 from anything that he had been saying. Um, you had said. And he, he, this is literally what Trump said. He said, he and I haven't spoken and he and I disagree. And that was actually literally all he said about it. No one ever really got into the meat of why it was so different. Um, no one got him to answer for it again. I think Trump, like Pence, might have softened later and had learned from the campaign to not be as specific about what he what his plans were. Um, but I thought that that illustrated, at the very least, that Trump's syriatic was pretty much totally phony or unformulated behind the scenes. So, meaning that if his VP could go off script this casually and easily in a debate, what that really means is that Trump probably had virtually no discussions 
with his inner circle or his campaign about what the Syria line was, what his actual foreign policy lines were, um, which actually just means it's a, it's a totally disorganized mess. Like no one really nailed any of this stuff down. I mean, that's the best case scenario. The I guess the worst case scenario is that there, are, you know, whatever intentions Trump had or whatever phony rhetoric he's putting out, you know, depending on how you perceive it, is that this might actually be the real, this sort of shadow policy of Trump's foreign policy. And then that was an accidental reveal of it, that Trump's foreign policy in Syria will be virtually indistinguishable from Hillary's, including the no-fly zone. Um, so I thought that was very fascinating. And we're going to just see, have to see how that plays out. But here are just some things that Mike Pence have, has said before that make him sound like a total neocon. He's actually used phrases like, we're in a global war of civilization against barbarism. Wow. That's an actual wow. quote. He said that when the Russia reset happened in, uh, in the Obama administration, he went ahead of most Republicans and said, Russia reset is an appeasement and invites aggression. He voted yes on reforming the UN by restricting U.S. funding. So he goes along with that idea that, you know, the UN, fuck the UN, mm -hmm, basically. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't, we don't, we're not, they're not an authority over us. He voted no to keeping Cuba travel ban until political prisoners released. Um, he has said over and over again that his he has an unbreakable commitment to the U.S.-Israel bond. He is against the agreement with Iran. I believe he actually signed the Iran, um, the anti-Iran deal letter that was orchestrated by Bill Kristol and headed by Tom Cotton. So he's in the same, like, you can't even really say now that there are that many overt neocons inside the Republican, like the GOP House and Senate, because it's become a dirty word. But this guy, by all characterizations, is a full-on, like, neocon evangelical, you know, Um and, and that's just Mike Pence. I mean, I, I, as I go down the list here, it, it does get even scarier. Yeah, and I, I want to interject um, something really quickly that people who think that Donald Trump is anti-war just because he doesn't want to bomb Russia, um, he has said that he's going to torture families of terrorists, bomb the Middle East to eradicate ISIS. Um, the torture thing alone is so crazy. It was so crazy and surreal to see all these media pundits just be like, well... Donald Trump's our president now. Like, we just have to give his policies a chance. It's like, policies on what? Like, torturing innocent people? Like, what What do you mean? Are, like, are there going to be some parameters set up to say, like, oh, but of course, like, we're not going to tolerate that, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's completely, like, black and <laughs> it, 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 it goes to show that Trump was very, very good at reading the hearts and minds of the American people and saying things that resonated with all these different people, picking up votes in all these different little sectors, the anti-Iraq war stuff. Yep, it's a yep, total disaster. Yep. Um, you wasted so many trillions of dollars in the Middle East. It was going to destabilize the Middle East. He would say that, but then he would also say we need to kill the terrorist families. Mm -hmm. We need to carpet bomb. Them. I mean, I don't even think he used the phrase carpet no. bomb, but he would say things like we need to bomb the shit out of the yeah, Middle yeah. East. He even said things like ISIS or chicken shit. I mean, these are just really bizarre, ultra hawkish things for any politician right, right, to say. Right. And yet people think he's anti-war. You literally have to be delusional um, or just totally sucked in by the phony thing that sucked in Obama, um, sucked Obama supporters in, in 2008. This idea of hope and change mm -hmm, that... Mm -hmm. 
that's going to usher in this huge change in the consensus in DC. Um, now, it's it all the indicators besides Trump's rhetoric, which you cannot be trusted right, by any right, measure, sh- show that he actually will have um, a virtually indistinguishable foreign policy from Hillary Clinton. Maybe minus some of that Russia-Ukraine rhetoric, but from what we understand about Trump's position on Ukraine, he didn't even understand what took place in Ukraine. They tried to they tried to bludgeon him over this idea that he thought that it was okay for Russia to take right, right. Crimea or to annex Crimea. But if you watch that interview again, he literally does not know what he's fucking talking he about. <laughs> he says that um, Russia never like Russia doesn't have Crimea. He made up. He basically said something that implied that he didn't even know right. like the the chain of events. Right. Right. And he wasn't paying any attention <laughs> to what happened, which is actually just really bizarre. I mean, that he would be that far along in the campaign and he would like, just like, it was it was like the Aleppo, yeah, the Gary yeah, Johnson yeah, Aleppo thing, yeah. but like a Ukraine version of it. And for a couple of days, people were shocked, but then it moved on to Trump as a fascist, yeah. the DNC's hacking the election. I mean, so, you know, people forgot about right. that, but he, he literally had no idea was happening in Ukraine and his whole idea of saying you know we need to like what are these NATO nations doing for us like we need to make them pay I mean that's literally like the meat and the core of his like quasi you know people say he's anti-NATO he's not yeah, anti-NATO he just wants, he's just yeah, saying exactly. the same dumb stuff he said about Mexico dude right exactly these people the are like how how soon is he middle... gonna dissolve NATO it's like never never yeah what are these people this is just so sad people are falling for this i don't understand and 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 dude seriously like i think half i don't know i've seen polls vary throughout this whole thing but a lot of people either chanting the wall build the wall or saying that the wall quote-unquote was like one of their main issues there is a wall there's a wall it's huge i've been there have has anyone been to the border what is that what is that it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Um, and uh, <laughs> it's it's interesting because remember when we watched that Scott Adams yeah. um, video predicting a Trump win? Yeah. I mean, as much as I think Scott Adams is a piece of shit, I mean, he does seem to be like this weird, like he's like contrarian. He acts like he's like uh, like an alt-right guy now. He was a, he was pretty much a hundred percent right with right, that prediction, right. and why? And the reasons why he thought Trump would win so heavily is because of that sort of almost like cartoonish platform right. where you're giving someone like regular voters something to visualize, like an object, right. like a wall. <laughs> it didn't even matter if it was based in reality right, at all. Right. It's like like you said, there's already been a wall there. It had, doesn't make a difference. It's all it's a really clever way to capture people's right. attention especially all these idiots out there who think you know illegal immigration is the main problem that our country is facing or even worse that they're going to somehow like sleeper cell people are going to come in through the mexico border you know like refugees or, or syrian uh, terrorists or something and like start attacking us i mean um it's it's amazing that that rhetoric is actually like really powerful right. um and i you know, I've seen um, indications that he's actually like not mentioned the wall recently. Right. Like he stopped mentioning right. it. The closer he's gone in the presidency, um, which makes me think he's a lot more clever than people give him credit for. I mean, not saying that he's clever policy-wise. He obviously has no fucking clue. But in terms of the rhetoric right. and how to capture people's attention, 
it's and you brilliant. know what else he did i mean recently like in the last um debate he kept saying he deflected all like the most um vitriolic rhetoric and like uh bellicose rhetoric about you know immigrants muslims and he kind of like deflect them all to the policies that obama and hillary have already been been employing like like for example the deportation thing i always said he wants to mass deport all these people he was just like well he was like look at what obama has been called the deporter in chief he was like he's deported more people than any other president and he would say things like that and he's like i'm just going to do the same thing he would like level the playing field and be like well i'm just gonna do what they've been doing like i'm not gonna you know it, and then the wall thing wow. too he was even like hillary called for a wall um wow. i'm just gonna do like their border policy and it was so weird how he kept saying that and it was a really really smart strategy because it convoluted everything it was confusing to people and then the progressives couldn't respond with anything or even the democratic wow. establishment yeah. couldn't respond that's fascinating yeah. i mean there are in retrospect, there's even more things that he could have done that I'm surprised he didn't do. Like, remember when he was on the stage with the with the other Republicans and he's like, he's like, believe me, I'm not the one with the trigger. Other people on this stage, now they're the one with the trigger. I'm not the one with the trigger. What does that mean? Like acting like they're way more aggressive and hawkish than he was. He could have done that with Hillary too. Like the, I think that he didn't want to, he didn't want to seem like he was too much of a dove. Maybe at that point. Mm -hmm you know, at least rhetorically, but he could have said that. He could have been like, why does Hillary want to start World War III? Mm. I mean, there did seem to be a building um, understanding, at least on the internet, you know, even if it wasn't accurate to say or not, that Hillary wanted war with Russia, um, which I think is more or less true based on what she was saying. Um, and that kind of build was building and building and building to the point where um, I saw people getting really angry, like neoliberal Hillary Clinton supporters were like, stop telling me Hillary's going to start war with Russia, you asshole, like alt-right Trump supporters and stuff. So it was like a building um, feeling that people had. And I think that that also hurt Hillary. You know, whether Trump was really going out there and saying Hillary's going to start war with Russia, that definitely had an impact on votes. Right, right. People don't want that. No, no one wants war with Russia. No one thinks of Russia as the enemy. It's the most yeah. contrived fake thing ever. I just can't believe they kept <laughs> doubling down on it. It was shocking. I can't like, believe here, it either. Here, I really here's can't. Trump saying, yeah, he's like, I don't. It made him look like a saint at the debates when Hillary's sitting there um, cra crazed eyes talking about Putin and Russia hacking and committing espionage. And then Trump's just like, I want to work with Putin. What do you think people are going to want? And even of people course. who lived during the Cold War, like, why would we want to resurrect the Cold War again? Why? Was it no? Of fun course, for and people? this was no, yeah, exactly. And I think that this is something that was lost. One of the positive changes that Obama brought, at least rhetorically, was he made people feel like now is the time to start talking to Iran, to start talking to Cuba. You know, even though Donald Trump didn't use those two examples, he kind of did steal that. My, I mean, not saying he stole Obama's campaign platform, but he like, I think he was inspired by that a little bit, but used that same mindset about what was happening with Russia, because at no point was, did the Iran and Cuba tensions get that crazy? Right. Like when Obama, you know, before Obama was in right. office, I mean, maybe Iran a little bit with the neocons during Bush, but nothing to the level it got now. And people really needed to hear that, a, a, mm -hmm, a detente, mm -hmm, a de-escalation. Mm -hmm, they mm -hmm. need that made that actually 
at certain points, even though I thought oh, Trump was a narcissist and he was probably phony a lot of his rhetoric, that made me feel exactly. a little bit better that at least there was a camp, you know, that the opposition was saying that they want didn't want that. So, exactly. Like today I woke up and I was like, well, I guess the silver lining is that we're not going to go to war with Russia right now. Yeah, right, <laughs> right now. now. <laughs> I mean, like we staved I mean, it off Putin, for a just, little bit. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's a perfect lead into um, Trump's uh, one of Trump's national security advisors, John Bolton, um, who I mean is probably one of the scariest, craziest neoconservatives uh, out there. Mm-hmm. And what's really disturbing to me is um, I notice a lot of libertarians, uh, a lot of. Um, just people who aren't really that left, but they're not, they're also not conservative. Who, like one of them literally said today, sorry, neocons, Raytheon, and Northrop Grumman, party's over. What? And I was like, wow, people are naive enough to think that Trump is going to stop the military industrial <laughs> complex oh God, that Eisenhower warned about in the fucking 1950s? Oh God, that's so like, are you that dumb? That's so sad. And apparently people are that dumb. And it's actually worrisome because um they're gonna be they're gonna be in for a shock. Um John Bolton, uh and we should probably just play this, this clip so first crazy. because he gives you a preview and Fox News uh, has it on their website as a preview of Donald Trump's foreign policy. That's the headline. Well, I think reality is going to intrude very quickly. I think even during the transition period, the adversaries will try to take advantage of the lame duck status of uh, Barack Obama. And I think the likelihood of a challenge of some kind uh, in the first three or four months of a Trump administration is almost guaranteed. Uh, the threats of international terrorism, the proliferation of nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons, the reemergence of Russia as a peer competitor, uh, the b- near belligerent uh, activity of uh, China in the East and South China Sea. All of these are issues that, uh, that could come to dominate a Trump presidency. And I think the one point uh, of his national security uh, platform that, uh, that, that really shone through was his repeated determination to rebuild the military. Uh, suffering under depredations of budgets for eight years of Obama. That is a perfect opportunity to work with a Republican House. In a- so, so John Bolton was just saying yeah. belligerent China, um, confrontation with Russia, and building up the military. This is something that Trump said over and over and over again. The military is deficient. First of all, we have the biggest military in the fucking world, bigger than the next 10 countries combined. So don't tell me. He's talking about the drawdown. You know how Obama like, drew down the troops or whatever, but now we have like special forces in 70% of the world's nations. So it kind of like flipped like more covert ops instead of ground troops. Well, apparently Trump is nostalgic for the ground troop era where he just wants a ton of embolden that military. Let's pour more money into the military because that's not where 50% of our tax dollars are being sucked into, is it? Like, who are these people? Do they actually think Trump is anti-military industrial complex? His whole campaign was building up the military. And that's what John Bolton just just confirmed for us. If anybody here listening has seen A Very Heavy Agenda Part 1, and I know you have, Abby, there's a scene in it where I show the transition from Bush to Obama. And I, and I have a Robert Kagan clip where he's saying um, there's a lot more continuity 
than people realize between the Republican and Democratic administration. There's a great deal of continuity, and there's a bipartisan foreign policy consensus in D.C. And he says very clearly that he, he thinks there'll be a lot more continuity between Bush and Obama than people realize, and that things are generally not going to change. And what you have here is an, a virtually identical comments from John Bolton. Right. Um, essentially, not saying that the continuity between Obama and Trump are going to change, but the foreign policy situations we're facing, Abby, the threats right. we're facing, those aren't going to change. Those aren't going to yeah. go away. And notice he's also plugging back in uh, proliferation of biological and chemical weapons. WMIs. I mean, I remember, I remember uh, Obama mentioning that a few times with you know with Assad, but. That's a return. That's a full return to the PNAC mindset. Hundred percent. Right. Right. They're going to use and the Trump rebuilding so him. hard. They're going to puppet this guy so hard. They these people. Oh, these people God, think that is... there's not a gun behind the head of of Trump like there was every other president from the special interests and corporations that run this country. This is hilarious uh -huh. that they think that Trump's going to come no. in and be some aberration and stand up and say no. no. The deep state. The deep state and these other people that you know people describe as the deep state, these shadow players, they will be able to play Obama possibly harder than any president in history, maybe since Reagan. Trump, you mean? And that's yeah, yeah, that's really scary. I mean, there are some parallels here here to Reagan, but I think on some level Reagan, because he was governor, at least had some knowledge and experience in how to navigate the system when he got into D.C. So he probably, on some level, you know, couldn't be taken fully advantage of if you want to. Put it in the, I that wanted context. to say, but yep, Trump. Yep. I mean, Trump. I don't think he has any of those same navigating abilities. He is ripe and ready for a fucking full deep state lobotomy. Like, <laughs> we're gonna puppet the shit right. out of you. He's gonna be disemboweled and and this puppet strings run through his body. Immediately. Really scary. I, I think it's really interesting, also, how people totally disregard a lot of the horrible, racist, xenophobic, bigoted, misogynist things that Trump says because they're like, he doesn't really mean that. And why do you believe this? What is it about this man that you actually believe you've concocted some delusional fantasy that this guy is going to do what you want him to do after he said everything under the sun? So it's not funny. It's very serious. And even if Trump doesn't mean the shit that he says, it doesn't change what's going to happen on the ground. And anything could happen. No, you're, you're absolutely right. With this, one of the scariest things that this does is even if you make the argument that Trump wasn't serious, like, like you're saying that some people are, this has emboldened a sector of the mm -hmm. right wing that people were trivializing and thinking would go away after this election, exactly. namely the alt-right. I mean, on one level, you, you do have the, all these emboldened, literal white supremacists mm -hmm. like neo-Nazis and Ku Klux Klan. But now you have this crazy 8chan Reddit, you know, boys club where all these morons are wearing hats that look like they're from a Midwestern gift shop, you know, that uh, like a 65-year-old lady would wear watching QVC. Now there are all these fucking teenagers and early 20s boys are wearing these ridiculous hats and their avatars and shit are now emboldened to a level that is extremely frightening. Um, and that, to me, really, that was what hit home the mm -hmm. most for me because I know we, we already talked about spirit cooking mm -hmm. and all that stupid shit, but over the weekend when I was watching these people escalating the, the rhetoric and, and buying into this crazy conspiracy theory about child sex trafficking, I thought to myself, well, one good thing is that these people are going to be gone, you know, right, go right. away. That these people will be so devastated by the results 
you know, that they won't, this momentum that the alt-right has been building up will be crushed. But I, that, to, that was when the reality really sunk in for me. I was like, oh my God, all these people are super empowered and validated right, right. now. Like, like they have never been before. And they all think that they're fighting against PC culture, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. politically correct mm-hmm. language use. But, you know, at the heart of that is really just stealth racism and bigotry and misogyny. I mean, that's really what that means for those people. I mean, on some level, I guess Trump might reverse the, the, the flow of like over the top political correctness. But I mean, in that small sliver of like, that might be like a positive, you know, positive shift for some people underneath that. And the way worse, you know, thing that's attached to that is it will empower actual literal racists and people to get more in the face. Uh, You know, like if say you have some like, you know, racial argument that erupts at a restaurant now between like a a black man and a white guy in Texas who's wearing a a sidearm, you know, now that might actually result in a murder, whereas before it might have just resulted in like the police being called and defused. I mean, that's just one possibly hyperbolic example, but I really think that we're in danger. No, with that. I, I I absolutely agree, and I think this is this is um, it's emblematic with the polls that were so skewed before, because the media and everyone. I mean, you know, you should be embarrassed, obviously, if you're supporting Trump, but the fact that so many people felt embarrassed in order to like they didn't even admit it now it's the opposite where now they're proud right emboldened vindicated like you just said and going to be wearing it on their sleeve and i don't know what that means it could mean openly hating black people it could mean um harassing women more um it can mean a number of things and we're gonna see how that's gonna play out very quickly but it's a huge question mark right now, and I and and that is the scariest part to me, um, is the people in this country that are going to feel vindicated, and and I don't know where they're going to take it. And we're already so intensely polarized, and the left, you know, the the more ex- like fr- fringe parts of the left are going to get more militant, and they're going to get more, um, you know, empowered by this in their own way too. I mean, a lot of people, not only has Trump been putting out this rhetoric and this dog whistling, but the people on the left amplified that on their side and were like, he is, you know, a white supremacist candidate. He is courting Ku Klux Klan. And whether he was overtly doing that or not, now they all are taking that past this election. And um, and that collision is going to is is going to occur. I mean, I, what I mean is that those tensions are obviously haven't gone away. If anything, they've actually gotten worse because Trump won. So we're we're headed towards, um, you know, I, I, I don't, obviously using the word civil war is pretty, you know, far, you know, it seems like we'd have to do a lot more to get to that point. But it's, I don't think it's ever been more tense. Right. Maybe not since the 60s, you yep. know. Um, and it is really, da- we are living in a very dangerous time and you cannot, only blame Trump's campaign and Trump's supporters for this. You can't. This is something that's I think has been a long time in the making, and we could get into the you know the why a little later. But like I do think the other shoe had to drop at some point after 9/11 was George W. Bush. I mean that was by all measures a fascist presidency 
where he heightened the rhetoric and the divisions in this country to levels they haven't been for a long yeah. time. And, and also, like, what, look at what and, neoliberalism did. It abandoned the working class. It made them all turn against the quote-unquote government. And that's, that's the propaganda apparatus that has, had that, that has exacerbated the divide so much, where people blame everything on, like, this nanny state and, and, and cause this huge divide amongst ourselves where you're punching down all the time you're never punching up. You're always punching immigrants, Muslims, black people. It, it's just a, it's a tale as old as time. But because of the situation of the country after 9-11, sycophantic media coverage, unquestioning press, and then coming into this election and treating everyone like fucking idiots, this was almost like a big fuck you vote. I mean, it could have been. I don't know. Uh, yeah. No, you're you're totally right. I mean, it. it I think that... The anti-establishment energy in this country is so high right now that, um, you know, in a way it does, it, again, I'm going to mention Obama's campaign because in a weird way he was channeling that. Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean, and let's be, let's be accurate here that we, you and I remember that Obama did throw out some really extreme red meat that was not saying Hillary for prison, but it was like, you know, we might prosecute the Bush administration here. We might have right. to. Like that was th that was thrown out very late in the campaign. I remember thinking, like, wow, like maybe Obama. Like I remember, even I was like, maybe Obama really will do something because that's a really extreme thing to be throwing out there. Um, so he he knew, and his campaign was very smart to tap into that populism. And they played both sides. They were also saying they were going to expand the war on terror in Afghanistan and Pakistan as he was campaigning. Only, only smart but bombs. Yet, exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, but I just wanted to, just because I know we've already been doing this for a long time, I wanted to just finish yeah. the Trump advisory team overview because there is more scary shit in here. Um, you know, I was arguing already with this guy named Thaddeus Russell who's who's not really part of the alt-right, but he's also like a critic of, of liberalism and, and he's very anti-war. And he was like thinking that Trump's victory was a repudiation of the neocons. And I was like, but what about all these people? And then for some reason, he kept wanting to mention Jeff Sessions because everyone, you know, the more people, the people who are convinced that Trump is going to be some kind of dove think that Jeff Sessions is the key to that. Um, because uh, I guess because he's not that much of a hawk. Um, but I mean, here's just some of the things that he's done. He voted yes on enlarging NATO to include Eastern Europe. Um, he spoke at a pro uh, Iraq war rally in 2005 saying the group who spoke here the other day, meaning anti-war protesters did not represent the American ideals of freedom, liberty, and spreading that around the world. I frankly don't know what they represent other than to blame America first. Um, and Sessions was one of the only three senators to vote against additional funding for the VA medical system. So here you have someone who's the main foreign policy advisor for Trump, basically one of the only three senators to vote against um, additional funding for the VA, which is one of the biggest things Trump's been claiming to be right. you know, concerned right. about. So you just have you know, indicators, even this guy's supposed to be a dove. And it's funny because even Josh Rogan in a, at an FPI event said, um, well, you can't say that Republicans won't change, but I knew Jeff Sessions when he was a hawk, but that man has changed. So there are people that think that Jeff Sessions used to be a hawk and now he's not. So that's, 
I guess reading the tea leaves, this is what people, <laughs> you know, think that Trump, that somehow Jeff Sessions is the key to Trump being a dove. Complete fucking just uh, rose-colored glasses, like naivety beyond belief. I mean, because that's one guy in a sea of essentially neocons. Um, and, and let's go to um, Newt Gingrich. Uh, Newt Gingrich is not necessarily known for being a neocon. He's more of known for being a little bit more of a Buchan Pat Buchananite kind of social conservative guy. But in the making of a very heavy agenda, I found a clip of him, I mean, more than one clip of him uh, out there at AEI in October of 2001, essentially saying that Saddam Hussein did anthrax and fear-mongering um, the audience, saying that we need to overthrow Saddam Hussein because of the 2001 anthrax attacks that later, of course, turned out not to have come from Saddam Hussein. Right. Um, and at the RNC, you know, for a while, we didn't really know what Trump's advisors were going to say or what they thought about Trump's campaign. But at the RNC, Newt Gingrich delivered perhaps one of the scariest uh, neoconservative speeches um, at the entire, of the entire campaign. Um, this is actually part of what he said. I'm going to quote from his speech. He said, of, he said instead of losing 3,000 people in one morning, we could lose more than 300,000. Instead of losing two great buildings, we could lose block after block after block after block to a nuclear event. This is just not my view. The Hart-Rudman Commission warned that terrorists will acquire weapons of mass destruction and will use them. He says, 15 years later, the dangers are even greater in a world where Pakistan has nuclear weapons, where North Korea has nuclear weapons, where Iran, the world state sponsor of terrorism, is close to having nuclear weapons. This, a catastrophic attack on innocent Americans, is a very real threat. We are sleepwalking through history as though this is all about politics. It is not. So I honestly am just astonished that anybody could see these this um you know the speech or listen to it and think that trump's foreign policy is going to be dovish in any way i mean this is straight up bush era fear-mongering absolutely I mean, no wrong? absolutely 100 <laughs> percent. no it's it's it is yeah. it's funny yeah like you just said these these mental gymnastics that people make to excuse any of this stuff and to say that these people are not exactly who they really are it's really, yeah. really astounding. God, John Bolton and Newt and, Gingrich, like these people are so bad. Yeah, they're they're I mean, if if you thought that this is somehow a repudiation of neoconservatism, I mean these are like the outliers yep. who are maybe like not going along with the the rest of the neocons, but that doesn't mean they're not crazy neocons. Right. That's it's like that's the mistake people are making. I mean, all you know, there's tons of reports coming out once Trump proposed his Muslim immigration ban policy that that policy was actually devised by a neoconservative Islamophobic crazy man, Frank Gaffney, who was previously advising Ted Cruz. So I honestly do not know why people have their heads so far up their ass right yeah. now, other than just being fooled in the same way people were fooled by Obama's hope and change mantra back in yeah, 2008. Yeah, and I remember when Obama won, all it took was seeing, okay, who donated to him? Wall Street. Like, who put him in office? Wall Street. And then just seeing immediately all the people he was picking. And this is the same thing. Rudy Giuliani. Okay? Rudy Giuliani. Does everyone remember who this motherfucker was? After 9-11? The mayor of 9-11? He's the worst. 
I mean, come on. His police commissioner went to jail for being connected to the mafia and embezzling a ton of money and fraud. <laughs> um, You're right. These were like the and, outliers. And, they were almost considered too wacky for like the neocon yeah, clique that's like the, the more like polished like insider clique. Yeah. You know, these are, these are the outliers who are almost too unpredictable and extreme for them. They bogged down Rudy their Giuliani, brand. Rudy Giuliani is one of the most psychotic, uh, evil uh, neoconservatives I've ever seen. Yeah, well, he's going to be in the, in the um, cabinet. He, Might be attorney general. He's advocated for preemptive strike in, on Iran. Um, he has advocated for banning Muslims to immigrate inside the United States. And people think that he... Um, you know, as some kind of hero of 9-11, that firefighters loved him, that New York City loved him. That's a myth. No. Actually, firefighters hate him because they blame him for the deaths of their yeah. fellow firefighters. Yeah, because he didn't... This, is, he, this is a fact. Because he this didn't is give not... them money to have um, up-to-date equipment so they couldn't communicate with each other and tell them, get out of the building because of Rudy Giuliani's yeah. ineptitude and lack of funds for the fire department. Yeah, people forget what actually helped kill his presidential campaign. Yep. He thought, everyone thought going into the election when he ran for president that he was going to somehow become like the front runner. But what happened very quickly is someone, I don't know who it was, um, this is before Super PACs, I think, they made an ad, just firefighter after firefighter that was like 10 minutes long of them explaining not only did Rudy Giuliani not upgrade our, our radio equipment, so that no one could tell the firefighters in the other tower, hey, this tower just collapsed. Get the fuck out of there. You know, yeah. so you could save your own lives. The radios didn't work. They couldn't communicate to the other tower. Not only that, but Rudy Giuliani, and this is not even associated, some people have lumped this in with a nine, the 9-11 conspiracy culture, but it's true, is that Rudy Giuliani took the first responders and the firefighters off the pile when there was still unknown if there were any survivors underneath the pile, stuck underneath of it, to get the gold underneath get the World the Trade Center. Get the gold. It's like that. It's like, he, it's like that newscast. And once he got I the gold. I want the gold. Give me the gold. That leprechaun newscast. Remember that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's true. Is that Rudy Giuliani wanted to make sure Wall Street and the gold was safe. And not the people who might be trapped under the rubble. And people could have possibly suffocated and died during that time period. We have no idea. And all of this thing is all the firefighters know how fucking evil Rudy Giuliani is. That he pretended to care about the firefighters acting like he was all in danger running out of the World Trade Center. Even though somehow he knew the first tower was going to collapse before it did and also didn't tell anybody. Which is kind of bizarre. So he's terrifying. Not only that, but um, then he blocked them from getting health care, blocked a new investigation, shipped all the metal off to China, um, you know, just just packed that crime scene right up. Yep. And, and, and he also has bizarre connections to defense contractors in the defense industry. For example, he owns a company that the press has coined Anthrax Incorporated. I believe that's from a US Today, Today article about how he jumped into the fray you know, everyone, you know, James Risen talks about the terrorism bonanza, the terrorism gold rush. Well, Rudy Giuliani conveniently already had a, a, a company that cleaned up bioterror attacks. Um, and he rushed immediately after 9-11 and helped clean up the Florida Sun building after Bob Stevens died from anthrax. And he almost purchased the building himself. 
Um, so that's just really uh, odd, you know, to think that this person is going to be in the Trump cabinet and people aren't looking at this. Uh, also, Rudy Giuliani owns, he co-owns a company called Starhawk, whose main priority is border security. They work with Raytheon. They've collaborated with Raytheon on monitoring systems for the U.S. border involving satellites and drones. So he ha is making money from a Raytheon collaboration. And this asshole libertarian I saw on Facebook was like, Raytheon lost this election. It's like, what are you talking right, about? Right. It's just like the most delusional bullshit I've ever seen. It makes me so angry. Who do they think is going to be contracted to do border security? And contracted to yeah, and who do they think up if they want to deport people? Like what? I mean, come on! And to bomb the shit out of the yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah, ISIS? exactly. What are those bombs gonna yeah. come out of Trump's right. ass? <laughs> they come from Raytheon and Northrop Grumman and General Dynamics. You idiots! Right. Lockheed Martin, Boeing—they're all gonna be there. This is not gonna stop. I don't. It's just shocking to me that people are this. And you know what else? And, and it's, it's kind it's, of is so funny because it contradicts what they even say. Like Alex Jones, for the longest time, has been calling the secret cabal who runs the government. You know, and 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 then, but 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 for some reason, some outsider can get in and win the presidency and change everything. Isn't that odd? So so which is it? Which is it? The New World Order Illuminati is controlling everything and there's like a secret group of people in a smoky room who dictate everything? Or is it that, oh, wow, look, the system's so free all of a sudden that Donald Trump somehow became president and is going to change everything, folks? Second American Revolution. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the, to me, the scariest possibility here, and I, and, you know, some people might not they might bristle at the term deep state but i think the scariest possibility we are facing here is that this could be a full deep state takeover of the united states government to a level that we maybe haven't seen since bush or maybe even worse yeah. because trump is will be so easily he it will be so easily uh, easy to mislead him based on his not just lack of experience, but his clear lack of knowledge on how foreign policy operates right. in D.C., yep. that they can, someone could pull the wall over this dude's eyes and he'll never know, understand the difference. Just like I believe in, on some level the wall was pulled over Obama's eyes. He got sucked into doing certain things that he thought were good, and then later he started to realize, took him a fucking long time to, that maybe some of these things weren't so good. James Woolsey... Right. Um, is in the Trump advisory team. He is a national security advisor for Trump. He is a former PNAC member. He is the chair of the Foundation for Defensive Democracies, the other main neocon think tank in D.C. besides AEI and Foreign Policy Initiative. He was literally the first official to go on TV and say 9-11 was the work of Saddam Hussein in Iraq. Let that sink in for a second. Mm -hmm. Trump's national security advisor was the first person to blame 9-11 on Iraq. Um, it was later discovered that Wolfowitz, Paul Wolfowitz, PNAC, one of PNAC's co-founders, hired James Woolsey in secret against the wishes of some of the more foreign policy realists like Powell and the Bush administration for a secret intelligence mission to prove connections between 9-11, Iraq, and the anthrax mailings. Now, he never proved any of those connections, but he was on TV constantly making those connections. So I think it's pretty likely that that's actually what Paul Wolfowitz hired him to do. Now, uh, Woolsey has called for Edward Snowden to be hanged by the neck until dead rather than merely electrocuted. It's an actual quote. 
Um, he said, I would say all Republican foreign policy, or actually Robert Kagan said, I would say all Republican foreign policy professionals are anti-Trump, um, which is bizarre because James Woolsey and John Bolton are both advising him. Both Robert Kagan knows they were in PNAC. I don't know what he's talking about. Um, and uh, let's see, Woolsey went on CNN and said that he was principally motivated to support Trump because of his plans to expand the U.S. military and the spending, rebuild the military. Sounds familiar? Um, and Trump gave a speech um, in, in September where he proposed dramatic expansion of the, of the Army and Marines and $100 billion weapon systems for the Navy and Air Force. So what idiot came up with this idea that defense contractors were cut out of the Trump administration? Um, and then, of course, we've talked about on the show multiple times Woolsey's troubling connections to 2001 Anthrax, um, Operation Dark Winter. Look up Operation Dark Winter and James Woolsey. Um, he is a very scary and dark character in all of right. this. Um, and I do not think people should underestimate what is happening here. Uh, and I just want to warn people, track these people, his advisors, because this is the best ammunition that we're going to have to fight back against any of this crap that Trump's about to do. Yeah, and I think it's important um, for people to realize, okay, it may seem like the entire establishment and the neocons and all the CEOs were against Trump. That's not because they don't, that's not because Trump's not an insider and a billionaire and wouldn't do their bidding. It's because they knew a couple things. They knew that the Trump presidency would bring massive protests, revolt, um, dissidents in the street. Okay. And they don't want that. They wanted a seamless transition of power. They wanted Hillary to quietly take the throne and they wanted to continue these policies. Now they're going to have to deal with potentially, I mean, a resistance like we haven't seen in this country. So they don't want that. Okay. They, of course they don't want that. It has nothing to do with Trump being standing up and being defiant against the military industrial complex. That is nothing to do with this. And they also no. want to be able to sell their policies around the world seamlessly. You know, I, I talked to a lot of foreigners uh, at Times Square and they were just like, this is just bad for the world because Trump just seems so crazy. Like, it just makes no sense because he just seems insane. And the establishment doesn't want that. They want someone who could package the deals of the empire with a straight face, with a professional face, um, and that that was Hillary to them. So of course she was the pick for the CEO of the empire. So I just I just hope that people can really realize what's going on, why these people were so against him, and why right now you're seeing them all now switching their tune and saying, all right, we just all need to get behind Trump. We need to give his policies a of chance. Course. Torturing families, bombing, deporting people en masse, banning Muslims. We just need to give them a chance. We just need to give his policies a chance. So I think that we need to prove them right. We need to be out in the streets. I was just on the streets last night. There was 10,000 people in front of Trump Tower. I've never seen anything so big, um, at least not since the Iraq war stuff. I mean, this was huge. And this was going on all across the country. And I just hope it doesn't stop because people are not just going to sit back and let this stuff happen. I'm not going to sit back and see people being harassed and brutalized in front of me. I don't want some power-hungry demagogue up there um, taking reins of my country and doing a bunch of crazy shit. I wouldn't sit back when Hillary's doing it. I'm not going to sit back when Trump's doing it. So I just hope that we can all band together, all band together for no more war, no deportations, no harassment, no brutalization, no torture, right? It doesn't matter if it's Trump or Bush, mm -hmm. I would hope that those same people would be out saying, no, we're not going to stand for it. And I think that we're going to see something 
beautiful come out of this, the lotus flower grows out of the mud. And that's all we can hope for is something really, really huge happening in a great progressive direction as a backlash against this. And I don't think we would have seen it under Hillary. And I think that that's the best hope that we have right now. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think, and I just wanted to, you know, I know we we probably have, we probably don't have any alt-right listeners or maybe, you know, hardly any Trump supporting listeners. But if any of you are listening um, to this episode, uh, I implore you to, in the same way that you've doubled down on being anti-PC and refusing to go along with like, you know, PC language and all that stuff, double down on this idea that you were going into the election with that, that Trump is going there as an anti-establishment person to wreck the establishment. Because if you sit back and think, oh, let's wait and see, you know, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to go after Trump yet. Um, then you're being just as misled and um, flaky and hypocritical as people who did the same thing with Obama. Um, and, I think that's worth remembering that that's what causes these problems in the first place is when people wait and see, go along with things, are acting really patient to see what a leader's going to do. You need to hold their feet to the right, fire exactly. immediately, exactly. immediately, as hard as you can. If you really care about these things, and I'm not encouraging all right people to hold his feet to the fire to ban Muslims <laughs> or anything like that, but if you want to, if you want to see the establishment wrecked. Hold his feet to the fire over that because it's already going in the uh, different direction than you than you you know all the, all you guys have been saying. Right, it's obvious. Right. The media is not going to treat him like a fascist white supremacist dog whistler anymore. Right. They're not going to treat him like he's a sexual predator. They're going to treat him like president of the United States, and the establishment is too. And I think that it's. It, it, it's going to be the you know same uh, new boss, same as the old boss. It really, really is going to be a lot more like that than people are. Because if expecting. anyone follows um, my show or what we've been saying, the empire is a mechanism that doesn't end or begin with one president. It's the entire exactly. structure of the United States. It's the military-industrial complex, and it's now this corporatocracy that's global. Um, and it. Trump is one player, um, a very small player in the game. It's scary. It's really unpredictable. And I know that millions of people are feeling discombobulated, unsettled, and kind of confused. And and so are we. But just know that there are hundreds of millions of people who want these things, who want the progressive agenda. Um, and and we're not alone here, all right? As much as they want to say that we're, we're the outliers, right? We're not. Look at marijuana just passed, recreational marijuana, totally legalized in four states, including California. That's huge. So don't just sit back and wait for things to happen. We have to shape the narrative ourselves. We have to change the course of history right now. This is our moment. This is our chance. The Democrats have failed us. We can no longer trust the Democratic establishment to lead this fight. It has to be us. Um, and we're out there. There's hundreds of millions of us, if not billions around the world who believe in these things and want these things and they have our back and we have to have theirs. And this whole imperial privilege of not giving a shit about what happens outside of our of our borders is needs to stop because it's going to continue with Trump and we need to be there to stop it. So and I'll just leave you with one one more thought. 
Um, and this is really one of the only positive thoughts I have, and I know it might be hard to accept or go along with my thought on this, but I also want to stress, do not treat people who voted for Trump as your enemy, because on some level, the, a lot of the people who voted for Trump are just as upset about the establishment and the, the structure of government that we have and our empire as many of our listeners are, who are more on the left. And I do think there is a chance here to bridge together some of that. I know it seems like an impossible thing to do. I know that some people out there listening want to just go up and punch people who voted for Trump in the face. I mean, I can understand that rage. But now that he's won and now that he's in office, um, we need to try to win over some of his supporters because he's going to fuck up and disappoint them immediately. Just like Obama disappointed a lot of people on the left. Um, and I think that that's important to remember, that there is an opportunity here, even on that the darker end of things, that even though these, a lot of these people, you know, probably a lot of racists did vote for Trump, a lot of people who are openly racist, mm -hmm. but there are people out there, there are good people who got sucked into a hope mantra of hope and change. And we need to show them the light, which is the reality of what our country is and how regardless of who the president is, this will continue. Exactly. And that's why we're we're covering things like the Podesta leaks and and covering Hillary Clinton. I mean, I, I barely covered Trump in the lead up to this election because no one was covering Hillary Clinton's corruption. No one was really covering the Podesta leaks. And so I'm going to go where people are not paying attention to. And right now that's on all who are Trump's advisors. Um, and, and I'm exactly. not going to stop. Yeah. We're going to immediately hone in on now. Who Who is this person and what is he going to do? We have to be laser focused, laser focused. I just hope that you care the same about Republican corruption than you do Democratic corruption because it's all corruption. And it's all part of the same system. It's a system of empire with two wings and Trump's not going to change that. He's just going to be representing it now. Robbie, thank you so much. It was really great to talk to you. Um, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. And please donate to our Patreon link, which we'll include at the, um, the notes for the show, the podcast.